0: Ladies and gentlemen, we're back with real deal talking today. I am with Come on. The man, the myth, <laughs> the legend, world-renowned pastor, lead pastor of Bressy Ranch Awakened Church. Is that correct? Come on. Making sure I get everything yep. correct here. Campus
1: pastor up there.
0: Campus pastor of Bressy Ranch, Carlsbad, right? That's it. Okay, Awakened Church. And uh so so Samuel Dooth. Did I get that right?
1: You nailed it. Bang. As long as you didn't say death, that's the main thing. We try to avoid Pastor Death. I try to avoid that as a title in general. (laughs) Have people said that before? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, Oh, man. Oh, my god, Dude, when people would call my mom and say, is Mrs. Death there? She'd just start reaming them. She's like, wow. So, anyways, if we can avoid death, then we're solid. But I'm excited to be on The Real Deal.
0: Yes. Come on. Dude, I'm so happy that you um, accepted the invitation um, you've got some big, big, uh, you're following some big dudes that came in here like Colin, oh. uh, John Heinrichs was just on the hammer, the hammer, <laughs> T- uh, Tom Foster b- lit this oh, place Lord. on fire.
1: So I see it's a theme. You're you've invited people with huge biceps. That's right. Right. So I don't yeah. know if, if the camera could maybe, and you know, get a fisheye lens or something <laughs> like that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Spencer, can we work on that? Get, get his guns up a little bit. Yeah. Come on. So, uh, and listen, guys, um, you guys know how we do it here. I literally know nothing about Sam's backstory. Like, n- all I know is he's an incredible man of God, a guy that I respect greatly, uh, a phenomenal leader, a great family man. This is all I know. This is all I see. Um, and one which spits fire all over social media. <laughs> so, this guy's making waves. He's a, a best selling author, right? Yep. Um, making waves for what he stands for and what's, you know, basically standing up and saying that that's it. So I have a tremendous amount of respect. That said, I know nothing about your backstory. So you folks, Let's go. you, you're, you're going to watch me <laughs> get to know... Uh, Sam here, and you're all going to get to know, especially everybody at the church that knows you already. That may not know your complete backstory. Well, that's going to change today. But who knows? We may get off on a, on a kingdom tangent, we'll and like with Tom Foster, we we did like five <laughs> minutes of backstory, and then we went. He went on kingdom for an hour or something. <laughs> Which is fine. So anyway, Sam, all right. So Sam, give it to me. Go back. Where were you born and raised?
1: Born and raised in the Midwest of the Great United States, okay. Minnesota. Nice. Sometimes I call it South Canada just because there's a lot of love for hockey. Yeah. Okay, there's there's a little bit of that Yashir, you betcha, accent. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Thankfully, I don't have too much of that residue, which I'm appreciative of. Not, not that Fargo movie Fargo accent. You know? Oh yeah. Uh, so Minnesota is where we where I came from. And uh, lived there until I was, you know, kind of 19 and h- headed off to college. So that's, that's where the family's at. Family's still back there. Uh, wife's family's still back there. And uh, that's, that's the roots.
0: Okay, so give it to me. You were born there, right? How many brothers and sisters do you have?
1: I have four brothers really? and one sister. Shut
0: up. Mm-hmm. So you I got
1: the g- clan. You're
0: kidding me. Nope. got six the six kids in the where, family. Where were you in the number like I'm what?
1: number 2. Number, number two. 2 in the lineup. Yeah, some older brother and uh and you're going to find out real quick that my family has has Christian heritage cuz my older brother's Daniel, I'm Samuel, then we got David, then we got Stephen, then we got Peter, No way. and then last but not least we got Rachel coming in hot at the at the very end there so. Oh. And uh so it was really uh you know, my my family was passionate about names meaning something, right? right yeah. There's value in what you basically prophesy over your kid, right? Because if yep. you're going to call them that every day, every hundred times a day, what are you saying over, mm. over them? So that mattered a lot to, to my family. Of course, you start running out of Bible names if you have too many. Yeah. My second, or my oldest brother, Daniel, he's a legend. His, even his wife, Heidi, They've been married just about a year or so more than us, but they have nine children. No way. Yes, they do. And they're not Mormon. They're they're not Catholic. They're full just Christian believers. But they are literally trying to take over the world with the gospel via having children. I think is a, is a key part of that. Wow. And but they've uh, they took all the other Bible names that my my parents didn't take. Did so, they really? Yeah. So it was, Do, <laughs>
0: give me a couple. What?
1: Uh, you got Ruth. You got Esther in there. You got another Daniel. You got a Benjamin. Uh, we got Miriam, we got Abigail, right? So it's wow. just, it's, it's the squad. So you, you're starting, you know, you before you go too far, you start having to go Rahab. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like you try to avoid the prostitute names in the Bible if you can, <laughs> ideally. Right. That's right. But, uh, you start getting down to that. So Dude. My, my family, you know, that's, that's a root system there. And I grew up, Um, what, what I would say is almost, I I don't know if Christian hippie would be like the full way, but like, you know, we were, we're all born at home. We were homeschooled before it was cool. You know, now everyone's like, Oh yeah. Home birth, bathtub, birthing centers, homeschool. Like it's a vibe now, but then it was, it was weird. It was not. Yeah. It was not at all. You know?
0: And so you, you were right from the gate like that.
1: Yeah. Yep. It's, kind of growing up in that environment. And um, my on my mom's side, there's kind of Christian heritage and even ministry, pastoring, kind of going back to my great-grandpa when he came over from England. Um, but on my dad's side, he's a first-generation believer, comes from dysfunctional dad, dad that ran around on mom, dad that was an alcoholic, um, you know, my dad would grow up where, you know, the local police department call, call the house. Hey, George, come pick up your dad. This was yeah, his dad. That was, this your was grandpa. his dad, my grandpa, you know, come pick up your dad. You know, he passed out again on the wheel. He's in the ditch. You know what I mean? That, wow. that's kind of the scenario. So then my dad, my dad's dad, my grandpa, my dad's side, <clears throat> um, He's got this whole scenario going on. So then, of course, mom is having to deal with all her kids and a husband who's dysfunctional. So she has a mental breakdown. So just a lot of chaos.
0: So hold, that my not, dad, not your mom?
1: Not my mom. Your, my dad's parents.
0: Got it. Okay. Were got it. both
1: kind of got it. just a train wreck. So the fact that I grew up in the home that I did, and we can talk about that in transition. We're going to. The fact that I grew up in the atmosphere of life, and health, and hope, and a different environment, just speaks to what I oftentimes feel like is, when someone says, hey, Sammy, what's your testimony? I go, well, I I do have a great testimony, but it really begins with my dad, right? Right? Yeah, Because my dad changed everything, and to me, gives people hope that no matter what your story is, everything can change in a generation. I love it. Everything can shift. You don't have to feel like, well, man, my life was screwed up, my kids, and my... It's like, no, no. Everything shifts. One decision, one choice can change and break the curse of an entire generation, and you can create a different reality to where your kids grew up going, oh, man, I thought every home was like this. Right. I thought every home had a, mom, a dad who loved their mom. I thought every home had mom and dad still together. I thought every home went to church. You know what I mean? Like, yes. You can change that atmosphere to where your kids grow up in a complete 180 from where you are and don't have to live with a life of residue a life of regrets and a life of passing on the same generational curse but that takes some intentionality
0: dude a hundred percent I mean and fr- frankly it's really rare that yeah. people actually intentionally Change the atmosphere, and and the problem here, man, is then people use it as an excuse for the rest of their life as yep. to why they're not doing this or they're that's not it. doing that. Right? They that's use it, it as a crutch their entire life. No,
1: and I think that is that's where we can so oftentimes fall victim. Yeah. Right. We can fall into that place. Where we go. Well, you know, hey, how am I supposed to be a good dad? I didn't have a good dad. Right. You know what I mean, man? I, I don't know how to treat a lady. You know, you know, um, you know. I saw my dad do this. I saw him run around. He was an alcoholic. He was this. He was an abuser. So then, you know, how? You know, you can't blame me. Now, in one hand, I think we want to show grace to people because if you didn't have an example, um, how are you supposed to instinctively know all the right moves? So, Correct. in one hand, I'm going to show grace, but at some point. You got to understand that we're all personally responsible, no matter what my dad did or didn't do, no matter what my mom did or didn't do, that doesn't allow me the privilege to pass on garbage and drama and junk to my kids just because I didn't get it. You know. Yep. I think about the David Glythe metaphor, David fought his giants, right? right? I don't mean his kids didn't have giants, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but I think a lot of times what happens is if we as an adult don't face our giants, then we end up passing on, not only do our kids have to face their giants, they gotta fight my giants. Right. So my goal, as best as I possibly can, is to make sure that I don't leave any giants that I was supposed to take down for my kids to have to take down, right? I love I'm that. gonna take my giants out, I'm gonna face them, I'm gonna own them, and you know what? My kids are gonna have their own challenges, they're gonna have their own journey, they're gonna have their own adventures, they're gonna have their own battles. There, No generation is left without battles, right? For sure. But I don't wanna just be like, like passing on my issues because I wasn't man enough to face it. I wasn't man enough to just step up and say, you know what? I'm going to deal with this stuff so my kids don't have to.
0: And give me some example of giants. Things that you're dealing with or that people, that people yeah. normally pass on to their kids. Yeah,
1: you know, I mean, I, I obviously some of the big ones, the addictions, yep. you know what I mean? Uh, alcoholism, uh, pornography, um, you know, even maybe even extreme um, things, you know, if you're, performance-minded or your, your massive insecurities, you don't always maybe think of them as an addiction, but if you live in a way where you are uh, constantly trying to fill a void, it's almost like you get addicted to, to kind of medicating your own issues, your own insecurities. And so I think some of those end up creating massive dysfunctional residue to where you end up passing that along. So I think of, I got told a lot when I was a kid I love you. I'm proud of you. Like, right? What that did to stabilize the heart, soul, mind of my life as a child. I grew up knowing that I had a security, I had a strength, I had a refuge as a child. And and it wasn't until later on I realized that was pretty rare.
0: Right. Exactly. That was pretty
1: rare. Right. Yep. And I remember it was um, the you know I posted literally today. My dad sent me. A text. And, yeah. you know, he just learned how to start really texting not long ago, you know. So, it <laughs> yeah. was broken up. The grammar was bad. There's no punctuation, you know. <laughs> but he sent me a text that just said, it was National Sunday's Day, and I want to let you know I love you, and I'm proud of you, right? And I remember when he was very first learning how to text, this is when my first daughter had just been born, Mercedes. And he sends me a text. Wait, 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 wait,
0: wait, wait. Is Mercedes a biblical name? No, it's not, <laughs> wait, but wait, I'll, I'll explain it. Where, where are we I'll going I'll explain here? it. We deviated. Wealth creation? We, yeah, yeah,
1: we deviated from the plan. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll finish that, and then I'll jump on why Benzo? we went back. Yeah, Benzo? Is sure? uh Benzo So, you know, when, when my first I was born, he said, Samuel, you're going to be a great father. And it was simple. Wow. But I remember that just I mean, I don't mind crying, I don't mind showing emotion, but i'm just I'm not a big crier, right, right. yeah, but that man, that messed me up, wow, right There's something about the role of a dad to speak into you as a son mm-hmm. that is so underestimated, so even if you didn't have that dad sending you a message to say, "I'm proud of you, you're going to be a great father, like a father has ability, you know, I've heard it said like only masculinity bestows masculinity, mm. right? That's a powerful role that men have in their sons or even in other men to say, I see you. I, I recognize your manhood. I recognize you're a man. I see that. I, I validate that, right? Yep. Women, women can encourage you, but they don't bestow masculinity. There's something different. So when my dad says, you're going to be a great father – a hundred men could say that, but my dad saying that is something different. Wow. And so we have the ability then, no matter what our dad's situation was, to begin to shift that legacy and begin to speak that life, begin to call that greatness, begin to clarify
0: that. And so go, going back here, like how in the heck did he do that? How did he change yeah. that so drastically? Do you yeah. ever ask him this? Yeah, Like what was, Did you, you knew it was bad.
1: Yeah. You know, um, I honor and I've preached this before. I honor a woman named Dorothy. Okay, <laughs> a woman named Dorothy was an, a lady in the neighborhood, a little bit older, probably not quite his mom's age, but older, and began to basically disciple him. Took mm. him under his wing at a wow. young age. Took him to church. Uh, really introduced him to Jesus. Um, to, you know, created those environments. So, if it wasn't for Dorothy in that neighborhood who probably saw the dysfunction of the family, mm. saw the, the, the disconnected nature of what was going on, and actually stepped up and began to speak life into my dad, began to you know disciple and guide him along that process. I remember when we were young, um, going over to Dorothy's house, because they maintained a relationship over those years, where she had been such a key kind of kingpin. Yeah. And I was think about that in my life. You know, who, who can I be like the Dorothy to? Who right. in my neighborhood? Who, what young kid um, in my world, you know, neighborhood, sports, whatever the situation might be, has a dysfunctional, disconnected, messed up home that I could be the person who intervenes in a kid's story to shift the, the scenario? So because of that, and that's when, you know, somewhere along the line, going to some church conference meetings, tent revivals, you know, those types of environments back uh, in, the, in the 70s. Yeah. The whole Jesus people movement, you know, revivals back, back in the day. And somewhere in those settings is where my dad met my mom, you know. Wow and so it was because of this lady wow. who stepped in intervened in the story rescued you know my dad out of that you know chaos and introduced him to those environments where ultimately my, my mom and him met
0: and, and so your grandpa they they were not believers in nope. my okay not yeah, at all not at all dysfunction yeah. addiction yeah. name it
1: it wasn't until like my grandpa on my dad's side like deathbed you know, kind of a deal that my dad was able to lead him to Christ. Wow! Yeah, really powerful. You know, wow. kind of ending to that story of God's grace, and because of, of course you could imagine that dysfunctional home, most of the rest of the kids were kind of off the rails. My dad, he yeah, was—he wasn't his... the youngest. Yeah. Uh, he was, I think, the second to youngest, and you know, so sometimes. When you're the baby, you're not necessarily influencing the family, at least not at the gate. Older brothers, they're kind of the patriarchs of the family. And so he lived for Christ for a while. His younger sister gave his life to Christ somewhere along that line. But it took years of my dad just being a faithful believer, years of my dad putting fruit kind of on the tree of his own life while his other siblings went through their dramas, went through their pain, went through their addictions, went through their divorces and but then later on little by little all the siblings coming to christ wow and then the oldest who was kind of you know he was he was the leader of the family really when he came to christ I mean, he came really to christ and shifted the rest of the family dynamic then it was really powerful in his whole family um to the point where he's having water baptisms from his church out in his backyard i mean just but my dad's faithfulness over time because i think that that's one of those big things, you know, that people are looking for. Is it's one thing for someone to have like a jail cell conversion, or you know, the you know the uh, the foxhole conversion yeah. that lasts for a moment. You know what I mean? Right. But when somebody really truly has a transformed life over time, sometimes with your family, that's going to be your best witness. You know wow. what I mean? Yeah. Because you can't always just you know you can try to. You know, try to convert your family to Christianity, but usually it's like they know too much. They know they know too much about your issues, right, right. the things you did to them, how you treated them, your attitudes, your you know your own shortcomings, and so they're they're gonna they have more walls up initially if they don't know Christ. But over time, that melts those those walls down to where you get a chance to actually speak into them.
0: And, and so, would you say that your uh, your father? was the dorothy to the rest of your family to the rest of yeah. his siblings yeah
1: i would say so i would say so he he became that steady example wow you know what i mean Dude. that really opened that how door. about dorothy is
0: dorothy still Dude, with us? Is still Dor- uh,
1: she's not anymore <sighs> she's with jesus now I, I, otherwise we get her on this podcast <laughs> i hope she's watching and listening because yeah. she deserves
0: yeah look at, i mean look, the fruit of the of, domino of, effect yeah. of fruit here yeah yeah, it's unbelievable. I, I, I have goosebumps all yeah. over my body. I yeah. can't, you can't even begin to... No. Because we're going to get into what you've yeah. done and the books you've written that are helping lives and...
1: Well, and when and you think like about... Like, what if Dorothy wasn't around? I, I know, what would happen? I know. And I remember hearing stories when I was younger about um, the, the random, quote-unquote, people in the line of how Billy Graham came to Christ. Wow. There's a bunch of little backstories of, like, this shoe salesman that led a guy, I believe, named Billy Sunday um, to the Lord. And, and then it was this domino effect of these different evangelists over the years that ultimately led to Billy Graham coming to Christ. And you just think about that person who maybe you go, well, I'm not a preacher. I'm not the guy on the platform. I don't have some big influence. But every single one of us, you never know. Who, whose life you're transforming. Yes. You know, and even if it's just one life, that's, just one. that's enough, but you never know the doorway, you know what I mean, that you could end up being to transforming a city, a nation,
0: you know what I mean? Yeah, it's just, it just like, it's mind-boggling to even really think about it.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I actually think that's one of the most incredible testimonies of the goodness of God and almost like a validator that, listen, we're not, there's, there, there's no way that life is just all randomly happening, right? You know what I mean? Because there's too many coincidences of the right person that had to be at the right place to connect with the exact person at the exact time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and for everyone, all the right you know players to be in place to then all of a sudden um be introduced to to Jesus, to be introduced to someone that gets you set free from addiction, that's someone that helps you break out of some cycle. God is in the business of positioning the right people. And I just always think, um, am I gonna be obedient to to step up to to speak up and to be the Dorothy, to be the life that I need to be when it's my moment, right? Um mm. because you think about the story of Esther. I love the story of Esther. Um, she's kind of by chance positioned in this very influential place and doesn't realize why. But God has sent her in advance to be right where she needs to be to save the people of Israel from extinction. And But in the moment, she's nervous. Naturally, yeah. she's like, wow, you know, the laws of the land. I can't just walk into the king's court There could be execution. If I just barge in and I'm not invited. And so she initially goes, "Ah, I don't know, to Mordecai, her cousin. And and Mordecai comes back straight up. Hey, if you remain silent at this time, he says to her, deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. As in, God's still going to work his plan. He goes, but you and your family will perish. There's always collateral damage to our silence. God will still work a plan. But the people that God positioned us to reach may not have got the message to them. And then she goes, okay. And then, of course, he says the iconic, you were positioned for such a time as this, right? Yeah. And then she goes, okay, I'm going to go, and if I perish, I perish, right? She she levels up, goes hardcore, steps yeah. up to the moment, saves the nation, but I love that that challenge to go, you know, in the political climate, in the cultural climate, in the 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 areas of life that I feel like God has positioned me for. Um, what would it? Why would I, at this moment, shy away from the the difficult things, the tough things, the battles, the hot button topics that nobody's supposed to talk about? And I if I did that, I'd be I'd be Esther going, ah right. I know I'm positioned to make a difference, but I'm nervous too, I'm afraid mm. to. And man, you know, to use like a like an old school biblical word, woe unto me. You yeah. know what I mean? Like if I am at the moment of opportunity and I shy away from
0: it. And Okay. Hold on. I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to dig into that, but I want to dig into something. Let me, yep. let me, let me ask one question here. Yep. How do you know? Like, how do you know? Like I, I'm at the point 51 years old. Like now I know, now I know yep. I'm here. I've been put here at this exact moment to make a difference. Okay. But how do people know? Yeah, Like, cause a lot of people that are, they're so caught up in this life that we're now have that just got to go here. Got to do this. Got to do this. Got to, got to, got to, got to, got to, got and they're just going the mundane yeah, grinding and they just don't even know what's going on. They're not even aware. Yeah. Like, how do you know totally. when you've been put here? Yeah. How does a, a normal person that hasn't been enlightened? Sure. How do you know?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think in a real general but honest sense, every single one of us, I believe, have been intentionally assigned to this hour. Okay. So I don't believe anyone is just accidentally, randomly alive in 2022. I believe that God knew in advance. Literally, the Bible says that in in Acts that he has predetermined times, nations, boundaries, seasons, right? So the fact that we are here in this time, in this hour, in this nation is not an an accident, right? right? And it says that he literally planned it in advance. And I love how it says he did this so that we would reach out for him and find him even though he's not far off from us. It's like God has positioned us, and now the journey of, of relationship with God is that he actually says, hey, now I, I have a mission for you. I want you to reach out to me, and we're going to build this dialogue, this conversation, this journey together where you, I unpack for you your purpose. I unpack mm. destiny. I unpack identity, right? And part of the value of that and why God doesn't just give us we're not born and we come out with a manual of the next hundred years of our life, and yeah. here's the playbook, because then we would have a tendency to go, okay, I've got that. I don't need, I don't need to talk to God. Right. But God doesn't want to engage with us. He's a heavenly Father. He's a Father that has a plan and a purpose, but He says, hey, come to me. Let's have a conversation. I'm going to unfold to you why I put you here at this time. I actually, I actually find that, you know, I might say this about preachers, that I feel like they're a response— of heaven to a cry of a generation but I feel like in many ways every person is actually like that God has you at an assignment he sent you to your city he sent you to your family he sent you to that friend group some of you may not ever have a podcast some of you may not ever have some big stage or platform or huge social media following but you have a family you've got a city you've got a, a club you're on or your kids you know sports team that they're on every single one of us have a place that God is specifically positioned you for and you might be the one to have that one conversation that helps a friend not commit suicide you might be the the person positioned exactly <clears throat> excuse me to have that conversation that helps a marriage stay together you know what i mean yeah that helps a kid get through anxiety that helps a business thrive you know what i mean that helps somebody break through in their in the world um and i would say also within that That when we stop, when we shift from thinking life is just about myself, it actually, value starts to change in a big way, right? I remember years back when I was maybe a young teenager, there was some men's event, and the person speaking was a guy named Bob Buford, and I think he was a you know uh, old-school winning like football coach maybe in the NFL and he wrote a book called halftime and the book was kind of like you know the metaphor of the halftime in a football game you retool you adjust you refocus you come out with a you know an updated fresh game plan for the second half and he was talking about how a lot of times as men we can get to that kind of halfway point you know that midpoint of life sometimes you could call it a midlife crisis but right. it's a midway point if you kind of it's like you you realize you know what i did a lot of chasing i did a lot of striving i did a lot of burning myself out spinning my wheels trying to maybe it's been about me and now all of a sudden i shift in those 40 50 year old age ago you know what maybe life is less just about me and more about how i can help people serve people add value to people and i remember going you know do i have to wait till i'm 40 or 50 yeah. to make that halftime adjustment mm. you know and I, I remember praying god help me shift from being about just about me and about Samuel and about my thing, how soon could I shift into making this about other people? And I think when I make that shift to going, to how can I serve people, man, value begins to rise in me. Purpose begins to rise in me. Because I'm not just waking up every day going, how do I make more money, how do I get the bigger house, better car, better whatever, bigger you know notoriety, bigger popularity. And instead it goes, how do I make a bigger difference? How do I change the world? So for me, from a young age, I would say, I want to change the world. Not just, I want to do something good with my life. Like, I literally, and literally when I was young, I would go, I want the history books to have to record that Samuel Duth was alive. Like, that is what I started thinking as a young kid. I want to change the world. What, What age did you start thinking that? Well, probably before I... I had the right to, you know, probably 12, 13, you know what I mean? I was like, literally when I first felt called to to ministry, it was literally in kind of that 11, 12 You're years kidding old. You're me. Yep. And I felt, I began to feel God kind of calling out to me. Wow. And and when I I responded, um, you know, kind of speaking about my dad, you know, I was I was kind of the, about to step into like youth ministry. And the first like youth camp was coming up that I was eligible to go to with my church. I was excited. It's a big deal, you know, first youth camp. And right as this first youth camp is coming, my dad, somehow there was some men's event that was literally planned at the same time. And my older brother was definitely going to the youth camp. And I was like, oh, shoot. I was feeling bad. (laughs) You know, I was like, my dad's got this men's event that none of his boys are going to come with him on. And I was like, okay, dad. I was like... I'll go with you to the men's camp, Yeah, you know, and I was like, you know, just trying to be like a good son, you know, basically, you know, but not wanting to go at all, but it was at that camp, at this men's retreat, that one of the guys ministering really moved in this prophetic flow and called me out of the crowd and said, hey, there's a call of God in your life, you're called to be an evangelist, begin to prophesy, and I'd been feeling it a bit. But that was the official confirmation. Wow. Wow. So I, I think about, again, the timing of that. I could very well have said, nah, I'm good, Dad. I'm going to go do the youth event. But somehow, by God's grace, I wow. was in that position. And and that began to shift everything for me. So from that point on, literally till now, I have been just eyes on the prize of <sighs> like chasing after the call of God. Now. I I, and I, read, I wrote about it in my book, Process of Promotion. Um, but literally when I was 12, I thought like, okay, sick. I'm called to be a preacher. Like,
0: yeah, yeah, that's I, it.
1: I can't wait for the phones to start ringing. People <laughs> want, want to invite me, literally. And I was like, man, nobody's calling me. I was like, you know what? It's because I'm not 13. That makes sense. Okay, once I'm a teenager and the youth ministries are going to want to... I turn 13, no phone calls. I was like, you know what? It's because I can't drive. Okay, when I'm 16... You know, it makes sense. Of course when I can invite me, I can't go anywhere. I have to get right for my mom, you know what I mean? So okay, when I'm 16, and then somewhere between around that age, maturity started setting in. I realized, okay, I'm on a journey. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm on a process of God shaping me. But when I was that that and I think a lot of times God will try to call us in our naive naive state. Yeah. When we're when we're too dumb in all the right ways to say no to God. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's why actually a lot of the biblical heroes got called when they are young. Not all. Some are older, but a lot of them were in those young teenage, like David, like, Dave was a teenager. Really? And he goes frigging chasing down Goliath. Yeah, he was a teenager when he did that. But, I mean, sometimes you're like, you know, that's the, like the beauty of youth. You're like, oh yeah, I 100% I'll kill that giant. It's like, Like, what the (laughs) – you know, like, what are you thinking, David? Like, you have no skill. I mean, you have have skill because you've been practicing, but you're not a trained fighter. You're not a warrior. But he just had that, like, he knew God was with him and enough stupidity to not realize how dumb of an idea that was. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. And so I think sometimes there's a part – I always want to keep a little bit – I hope I always keep that edge where uh, I don't overthink everything so much that when – For the next 10, 20, 30, 50 years of my life, I pray I have enough of that. Like if God says, I'm just say yes and just start charging at the giant, even if I shouldn't, even if I'm not really qualified and all the, you know, if they're running the stats, um, me versus the giant, if. I don't want to look at too much of the stats. I just want to say yes to God, yeah. yes to what He has for me, and just charge the hill. You know,
0: and then and so so the, listen. The the believers and the Christians they understand a lot of stuff you're saying, but for, for the for the for the newbies because I'm a newbie here. You yeah. know this. I've been yeah. I've been with this the the Jesus thing and the yeah. Christian thing like yeah. a little over a year now. I'm just learning on Dude, the fly. Come on, let's learn on the fly. Let's go. So when you say believer, yeah define what does that mean what does yeah. that mean and then also when you say when you when you uh what is it follow christ or you yeah. know, you you let christ in yeah you're saying stuff like this on the yeah. fly all the they know what they're talking about but for yeah. the for the people that are watching and listening to this we have quite a few now which i'm i'm i'm, I'm completely flattered honored and, and i'm not gonna say shocked but it's 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 humbling yeah that are like i need something else in my life something's yeah. going on here i see this what these people, how they're living, they're loving life, they're making a difference. I want to be a part of this. Yeah. Like, so tell me what that, like, yeah, define totally. that a little
1: bit. Yeah, believer, um, it's it's actually pretty simple. It's just, yeah. when, when I call myself a believer or call somebody a believer, that means they believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross, rose from the dead, and is literally my Lord and Savior. Like, he is, he has forgiven my sins, he has paid the price for that he has brought me back in relationship with my heavenly father so when i'm a believer that means that i put my faith in jesus so i'm not just a believer in good thoughts and good vibes and that the universe is this all you know kind of this collective big aura out there of happiness or goodness or nirvana no no that there was a creator god yep who started all this And actually, it's amazing. The more as a believer, when I was young, I I thought I had to be nervous about like science and archaeology and the study of all that because I thought, well, if you dig too far into science, it's probably going to disprove God and I'll just kind of keep a blind eye. But Mm. it's the absolute opposite. The more you actually dig into science, history, archaeology, all that kind of stuff. It literally keeps validating the Bible over and over again. And here's here's a wild thing: there's no archaeological dig ever that has ever invalidated any claim that the Bible has made about geography, location, nations, people, groups. It's unbelievable. Um, There's no book that has been more validated historically than the Bible. Um, And there's so, anyways, it's just it's powerful. There's a God. There's a Creator. He loved us. He created this earth intentionally with us in mind. Literally the entire solar system is exactly perfectly laid out. You know, all the gravitational poles and all the dynamics that go into creating life. If anything was slightly different in our solar system, in our galaxy, life on earth could not exist. It has been so specifically designed. There had to have been a creator. There had to have been a designer. Now, initially, you can acknowledge that without maybe going, okay, well, I believe that's the God of the Bible was the creator, but there's no way now to look at the world that we live in and not go, somebody started this. Somebody put this in motion. Somebody created this perfection that we live in. Um, But then throughout human history, we just see proof of god unfolding god creating and ultimately sending his son jesus because sin happened right in the middle of perfection in the garden we disobeyed god sin entered evil entered that's why all the chaos and the evil and the pain and the disease and the dysfunction is in planet earth god didn't start it that way but sin entered we allowed that into the earth through sin but God was gracious enough. He didn't, he didn't leave us on our own. He knew we would do that. He knew the end from the beginning. So we already had a plan set in motion from before the beginning of the earth to send Jesus to the earth. He died on the cross, which paid the debt of our sin, right? Yep. That none of us could pay on ourselves. And so now because of that, I am a believer in Jesus. I put my faith in him. My sin is forgiven, right? The sin that I owed, he took the debt for. He covered the tab that I had rung up that I had no ability to cover. And only Jesus is able to do that. And when you walk that journey out, if, if you're listening to this right now, and you're like, I don't know, and, but I feel, I feel something. I feel some stir. I feel some longing in me that there's got to be more. There's got to be something beyond just myself. Well, I'll encourage you, there is. Yep. And as you go on this tr- truth journey, I never get nervous about people asking questions, seeking truth, going on those journeys, because ultimately, Jesus is truth. The, The Word of God is truth. And if you will chase down truth, you will find Jesus. You will find what you're looking for, what your heart desires. And when you connect with God... When you open up to him, literally everything begins to change and things begin to make sense. Mm. You know, at church, uh, one of the interns that works with me, his name's Joven. He's just been saved for about a year. He was a hardcore atheist, like God-hater. Not just like agnostic or uninterested, but like against God, proving against him. And he was just going through some dark times, some painful seasons, some depression moments. And I think he stumbled on watching some episode of The Chosen, mm. you know, which depicts the story of Jesus really unique and powerful and very personal, so you can grab onto it. And after that, he had this God supernatural kind of God encounter moment where it was like he felt like a almost like a cloud entered his room and he was like, compelled to fall to his knees it was like in this vision it was like he saw the feet of Jesus and he goes I knew I had to make a decision whether or not Jesus I was going to believe in Jesus or not whether he's going to be Lord or not and he goes I made that decision to say Jesus okay I believe in you I'm going to trust you you're the Lord of my life and he was like It was like blinders came off his eyes. It was like he went from feeling like he had no clue about purpose and value and the meaning of life to all of a sudden it was like things begin to make sense again. Uh, Because literally so much of the confusion and pain in our world right now is because we've been told since we're young that you have no value, design, intentionality. Mm. You have no creator. It's a little bit like when a child grows up not knowing his dad. Yeah. There's a constant search that they can't explain of going... Even if they had a good adopted pe- family, there's still something that goes, I wonder where my dad's at. Who is he? What's he like? Uh, where is? Yeah, you know, I want to find him. I want to track him down. And sometimes adopted parents almost feel bad. They're like, oh, hey, what about us? Like, We love you. But there's this, this unexplainable search for your father in the natural. Yeah. It's the same thing in a spiritual. You can't mm-hmm. explain it, but you're searching for your creator. But when you're told you have no creator, you have no loving father, you have no intentionality, well, you start living that way. Confused, hopeless, depressed, anxious. If you don't know that there's a God who's kind of holding the world in existence, then you could wake up every day freaking out, panic attacks, overwhelmed, anxious, because we have a lot, there's a lot you could be afraid of every day if you want to be.
0: And on that note right there what I'm realizing and because every night I read a little devotional to my daughter and because I'm still yeah again love uh, it and I have friends of mine that they're like okay I there's I can't argue with something's going here that's very positive there's a lot of they don't call it fruit but it's fruit (laughs) yeah I want to be a part of this but the Jesus thing I just can't wrap my mind around it so what I'm realizing here Samuel is that it's, it's the Bible it's like a guide it's a guide of the way to properly not that properly live yeah,
1: it as totally a great is.
0: human being yep. that makes a difference than that was put here for a reason and it's literally a guide on yeah. how to live a fruitful fulfilled yeah beautiful amazing loving life of purpose yep that's
1: it it, like, it absolutely that's is that's what i'm coming to and i'm like this is. makes sense yeah you know, it's it's like creating you know um, you know obviously, all the, the the mattresses, the beds that you sell. I mean, there's, there's going to be how-to manuals. There's going to be instructions, a manufacturer of a vehicle. There's going to be how to run this vehicle well, how to take care of it, how to fix it, right? Every creator creates a manual for best operation. Yes. Right? And God has done that graciously through his word. It's an operations guide. Now, does that mean that as a Christian or a follower of Jesus – that everything's gonna be perfect you're gonna never have problems no because we live in a sinful world where there's not it's not a perfect everything environment but the longer I live for Christ the more I follow the guidebook the Bible yep. this this path the more I do that the more my my relationships get healthier and stronger uh, if you're married your marriage gets better Your parenting is going to increase, which is going to make your kids healthier, stronger. You know, you're going to raise them differently. It's going to change my business. It's going to change my mental state. You know, sometimes people think the Bible is just like maybe a religious crutch or, you know, hey, I'll wait till my deathbed. I'll do the quick thing I need to do to get my ticket to heaven. And, you know, I'm thankful that actually God's very gracious to... To grant salvation, even in the final hour, he is that good of a God, because he doesn't want anybody to go to hell. Like, yep. it's not like you can get to the end. It's not the good versus bad. That's a lot... I think a lot of people just think, mm. if my good outweighs my bad, I get to go to heaven. I'm actually thankful that's not how life is set up, because there there'd be a lot of people who are not going to make it. Right. Right? Yeah. But... We, we we get to heaven because of the grace of Jesus Christ. So even if you lived a horrible life your whole life, and you finally come to reality that Jesus is he says He is, and you repent and give your life to Christ, you're going to be with Jesus in heaven. Just like if if you're if you're newer, there's a story about the thief, the two thieves that were on the crosses next to Jesus when He was dying for our sin. There was two other people getting crucified at the same time. One of them is cursing Jesus, and the other one says, "Hey." Um, remember me when you enter your kingdom. So he acknowledges that Jesus is a king. He now acknowledges who he says he is. And Jesus literally on the cross while he's dying, he says, today you're going to be with me in paradise. Mm. I mean, who knows what that guy was on the cross for? Was he a murderer? Was he a rapist? What kind of evil could that guy potentially have done to get him to a place where he's being crucified? Yet in the final moments, even of the worst of us, he reaches out to Jesus, and Jesus saves him and redeems him and brings him close. And and I'm so thankful for that kind of a God. But you know what? You don't have to live like hell yeah. <laughs> on earth. Right. You can actually bring heaven to earth. Mm. And the way you do that, the Bible talks about being transformed by the renewing of our mind. Of course, we hear a lot about those types of things, about changing your mind, your yeah. confessions, you know, thoughts, thinking. Um, all of that, we hear that a lot in a lot of self-help or a lot of transformational type of thinking, coaching. Well, all that's biblical. That's a, those are basic biblical principles that I learned how, that I can change my life by changing how I think. Mm. Now, the question is, what am I changing it to think like? Am I going to think like my buddy who's just as dysfunctional as me? Am I going to think like that, that, that coach that maybe is a boss in one area, but his, his personal life is dysfunctional? What am I going to change my thinking? What am I going to align it to? And am I going to align it to something that is, is thriving and healthy or something dysfunctional? So if I align my life to God's Word, which is true, perfect, pure, right, then all of a sudden, little by little, my life is going to be something drastically different. That's why it's always, I, I had the privilege of growing up in that church environment. But I know a lot of friends who had very jacked up past come to Christ. And I've been in scenarios where I've been in like in a church setting where somebody who's fresh, maybe not even a Christian yet, and their life is a hot mess. And I know that my friend had a similar background, but now he doesn't look like that. He looks kind of put together. It looks yeah. like his life's happy. It looks like he's healthy. He looks like he'd never had a care in the world. And that guy going, you don't know what my life is like. You don't understand my story. And, and almost like laughing to go, no, you just don't know. You just don't know. The, the truth is this guy had the same story, but he gave his life to Christ. He began to apply the Bible to his life. And now, a year later, five years later, ten years later, he has a uh, completely different story. And no matter what, anyone listening to this, no matter what your life is like, your mental state is like, your relationships are like, your kids are like, your marriage is like, no matter where it's at right now in this moment, if you will begin to apply the Bible to your life, if you'll begin to live as best you can, with God's help, with the Holy Spirit's help, and with good believers around you, begin to actually practice the Bible in your life, you, I guarantee it, your life will begin to shift. It will transform. And in three months from now, you'll see something different. And six months from now, you'll be like, holy cow, something's working. And a year from now, you're like, I'm not the same person. Five years from now, you won't even recognize your old self. You'll be shocked that you used to be that way. Why? Why? Um, because the Word of God is is the manual for living a healthy, thriving, yep. prosperous life. Every area of your life is going to thrive when you apply the Bible to it. Every single area. Every single
0: area. Yep. And what I'm realizing here, Samuel, and, and I'm, I'm loving this, dude, I'm loving it. Because it just breaks it down. Because you got people listening to this that just, they know that there's something more. They know that their life has got more. They, they know that they're meant for more. And and we all bec- we become who we hang around. That's it. It's the number one thing in life. That's so it. if you want to change your circumstances, like Samuel just said, it doesn't matter where you are right now. It doesn't matter. Yep. You can change that. That's it. But you got to change your environment. You got to change your surroundings. And it, and it's right here. It's here for everybody. That's it. You yeah. can go by Nobody's this guidebook. Yeah, yep. this guidebook that has been written, what I'm realizing, because I read a million uh, self-help, um, success principles, personal development books. I read them all. Think yep. and Grow Rich go down the list, and they're phenomenal, yep. but I realized where they all came from. That's it. It's from the Bible. <laughs>
1: That's it. Yeah. So it's you just a, need one. Yeah, it's original manual.
0: It's the original?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Manual. Every, every principle, but, but it's the original manual for all this stuff but attached to the source of its Correct. power, right? That's right. So the challenge with a lot of books is you're scratching the surface yes. of a concept, but you don't have kind of the juice, mm. if you will, of where that idea really comes from. So when you start reading the Bible, it's like, oh my God, I'm now I'm connecting the source of this idea to the idea and it, it transforms the power of it right because yep. now now I'm engaging with something at a more meaningful purpose filled level and and everything changes when 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 you realize where it really comes from and you, and you'll you'll see that begin to happen in your life so i would i would encourage anybody who's wondering about it, man, begin to engage God's word in a way and watch watch how it begins to transform. And and maybe some of you are like, well, you know, I've tried church. I've gone for a little bit. And I would just say, if if your life hasn't changed, I would actually challenge you. You actually haven't tried it. You actually haven't tried yeah. it. You you've you've come, you sat, you've crossed your arms in a church setting. Or maybe you were in a real, you know, horrible church too. you know Let's what i mean you know maybe maybe that's what it happens has no too. life in it it has no life in it but a lot of times people can come and and sometimes i'm shocked when it goes oh yeah i've been coming to church for five years and i'm like you've been coming to church for five years and you're still going through this drama well what that usually tells me mm. is you're not applying it you're not doing the work Yep. You know what I mean? It's like when someone reads the book and like the success book or they go to the seminar and their business doesn't grow. Well, well, you didn't do the work. You didn't put any of the principles. You didn't do the marketing. You didn't do the PR. You didn't do whatever that you were supposed to do. You didn't apply. You can't be mad at the seminar. Yeah and the speaker, and the guru, because your business didn't grow well, you didn't apply the principles, right? Yep. So it's the same way. You can come to church, you can hear all the messages, until you're blue in the face. But if on Monday, you're not doing what you heard on Sunday, forget it. Your life's yeah. not going to change. And and you're going to blame everybody else and be another victim, um, like like everybody else is. Well, it didn't work for me. It didn't. I didn't like it. It's like, oh, whatever. You, you're not serious about it. You're nope. not serious about it. If you apply it, to your life that's that's when this. that's when it happens
0: alright so speaking of life we're going back I'm, <laughs> I'm going to turn the clock back to, let's go because I'm really still fascinated about your dad making the shift on yep. the family yep um. So you were 11, 12, you, you said like, I'm going to be, they're going to rewrite the history books for me. Yeah. All right. So get back to then. Like, give me your brothers and sisters at this point. Yeah. Were they on board with you? Were they full on? Like, did they buy into this family, the dad's dynamic of the believers thing? And yeah. give me some family stuff yeah. early on that you can remember. Like maybe you, you, you were, you became a faith leader in your home. Go back. Give me some more childhood stuff. Yeah. I, I want people that know you yeah. to really understand where this, how did this, how did Samuel get to this point because you're like you said your childhood is so rare yeah really rare yep like on my podcast of about 30 interviews so far maybe three had a childhood similar to yours maybe
1: maybe actually
0: what only one this much The other two had a mother and father that loved them dearly. Everybody else was a hot mess.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's... So go back, give me the... Yeah, you know, um, so there's six of us kids, and uh, we were all born at home. Okay, give me that. And so my my parents... I, 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 they're they're not like super hippie in like the full hippie sense, but I, I was joking, call them Christian hippies because yeah. we were homeschooled and born at home way before it was cool. Now it's like, you know, especially after COVID and everyone like doing homeschool for like a year or two years now if you say i'm homeschooling people are like oh that's you know i was thinking about that that's a great idea oh yeah yeah, that's so smart you know when i was a kid and you say you're homeschooled everyone's like what are you gonna go to real school ever i mean like what is your problem i mean and and uh, to be honest i kind of made fun of homeschoolers too i mean they were kind of weird you know what i mean and i i probably thought i was cooler than i was i probably was a bit of that you know Uh, and but I always say I didn't make my own butter and I didn't sew my own clothes. Okay, so let's just kind of get that off uh, off the table there. And uh, but we were, um, my parents were just kind of from the jump were like, hey, we want to we're not just going to do things because the world's doing it you know what i mean we're going to do things from a kingdom mindset and we're going to do things that we're comfortable with so i don't think uh, have being having your kid born at home is like a christian thing i think my mom was just like i don't want to go to hospitals I don't, I don't want that vibe that environment yeah. and so my parents i mean i did i personally don't really recommend this but they went like straight um, home birth. They didn't have doulas. They didn't have some medical professional on call. Uh, they learned how to like have your kid at home. Like before, like YouTube tutorials, not that I would want to look up a right. home birth YouTube tutorial, <laughs> but I'm sure they're there. I'm sure. And, uh, but that was before that. So they must have had to read some book, find somebody who had done it. And so my parents, I mean, just they're getting ready to have a kid. So no ultrasounds. Uh, definitely no gender reveal. The gender reveal was when the baby, when we came out. You know what I'm wow. saying? I was like, it's a boy or a girl. Like that was gender reveal party. You know. Yeah. And uh, so it was just be like my parents' room. And my dad's a, con- a carpenter, right? So construction worker. <laughs> so he had his big you know tarps for whatever work he was doing. So it was just plastic tarp laid out in the in whatever room they decided to like have us born. And so I think the first, I think the first one, my older brother, I think was born like just in the bed, like a like kind of a typical laying down like birth, like that would be in a hospital, you know. Um, but by the second one, they decided, which was me, my dad, and uh, oh my gosh, I, I have a picture with it because I I I have talked about it so much, especially when I was a youth pastor, it was more funny. But um, my dad decides for the second. Birth. He goes. You know what'd be. You know what'd be natural uh, is. Let's use gravity. Why? Why would you give birth laying down? You should be like sitting up. You know what I mean? Like you should allow gravity to help with the birthing process. So my dad finds like one of our kitchen chairs. Literally, kitchen chair. Rips the seat off of it. So it's like a metal frame. He like puts like padding around the frame of this and my mom basically sits backward on it you know like straddles it backward and that's what she labors and gives birth and so then my dad basically catches us as we're dropping out right through this chair which now I affectionately call the portal of life okay so this chair (laughs) of the portal of life which we've all come through and I ceremonially brought my firstborn daughter through as a joke one time uh, which my wife wasn't real pumped about because it was a pretty dis- it's pretty disturbing now the photos I'll have to, I'll have to send them to you Wait, funny. you did that yeah just as a joke you know later oh. on. Uh, but my uh, but th- this this was the scene so then my dad it's like tarps on the floor chairs in the middle he boils hot water to sterilize shoestring right? To cut to, for tying off the umbilical cord, and sterilizes the scissors to cut the cut the cord. I mean, like we're di- we're just talking straight. That's how I call a Christian. <laughs> just, just straight up home birth. The only body there is my mom, my dad, and my grandma. My mom's mom. And uh, so, and thankfully, so all worked well. All six of us, like, no complications. Thank God for that. But like, so, this but is unreal. Yeah, it's very unreal. And again, don't really recommend it. Big fan of you know, if, at minimum birthing centers or, or something like that. Um, although my my older brother had they had all their kids at home too. Very they similar. Did? Yeah, and did one of my other brother did, but now he's a, he's actually like a doctor, so like it's a little more <laughs> legit. But right. my other brother did that. Um, we were like the first ones that like our family would be like, yay, uh, I feel like there's a reason why hospitals were made. So we're going to go ahead and like use one of those. Really? <laughs> yeah. So we are like, had like our kids born in a hospital and stuff. You guys did? Yeah, we did. We totally did that. I was just like, yeah. And here's probably why. Here's <laughs> yeah. probably why. First of all, my wife wasn't about that life. Um, uh, having, having, uh, having doing the home birth thing. She, was, giving she birth wasn't through a chair. Yeah, yeah, through a chair. She wasn't feeling that. Um, but, when uh, probably was when was your dad was
0: your dad upset that you went the that you sold out yeah you know what to the institution maybe
1: secretly maybe secretly (laughs) they were they were pretty good about it they genuinely were like hey wherever the wherever the mom is most comfortable if she's most comfortable in the hospital cool she's more comfortable at home cool they're actually pretty pretty good about it but if you
0: need me to cut a chair hole out for you but let me know I got you you.
1: dude honestly and 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 when you see photos of it. It's worse than you can imagine. Of what? You have photos uh, of this? I have photos of the chair. I do. Uh, let's see the if I have actual one seen. where you yeah. were birthed through? Yeah. Absolutely. Oh I had to. I I because I've told I told so many stories about it that people like kind of didn't believe me. And so I had to oh. kind of like um
0: the actual chair. Yeah. Is it still back. in existence? Is this thing still around oh, bro
1: you you ain't ready for this? Oh no this is oh it. no. This, this is, is the is actual,
0: actual this is the chair. That is not the, the
1: portal of life.
0: And that's if, the you, actual if you scan
1: next, you'll see what I used to look like. I have a couple. Yeah, get that in there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Guys, you gotta watch you
1: gotta watch the YouTube. Oh series. my gosh, dude. <laughs> okay, now look here. Flip to the next one. You see like OG version of me. Oh Mike.
0: That's who's that?
1: That's me. That's you? Yeah. Well, let me make sure. A little, what are you
0: looking at? Is that a little beard thing there? Yeah,
1: it's like a little little soul patch. That's
0: a little soul patch?
1: Yeah. That? Yeah, that's me. Yeah. There there was one time I had as a youth pastor you of course you oh th- usually tell gosh. random stories so I was like alright I gotta
0: what's tell what's with the salt? oh and you had a long you had oh long, yeah uh, long hair chops, yeah. yeah
1: just big chops dude <laughs> my chops have been trying to take over my face since I was a kid like you know what I mean like before I could grow any facial <laughs> oh, hair now now life. it's a beast I have to tame look tame the beard. yeah oh it's that God. so you can see it's like exposed foam it's just it's, it's, a, it's a bad thing like who knows who knows what oh my fluids God, bro. you know what I'm saying like we don't need to go anywhere Further, than so, that. so hold is, on. This isn't a this isn't a, a birthing podcast.
0: You yeah, know but, I mean? so, but hold on. <laughs> so hold on a second here.
1: So there was no medical nothing. No, they're just like you because know. Because I remember God when Jacqueline to came out. Birth
0: normally, like when Jacqueline came out, bro, the, the umbilical cord was around her neck. She wasn't breathing when she came out. She was yeah. blue. Yeah, we'd have been done. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she wouldn't and have lived.
1: I I think a few of us may have come out. They like, unwrapped in, and and uh, I just. Spanked us, and you know, I see when I was, when I us. was, when our two girls came out, especially our first one, I was not prepared for how blue a kid looks yes. when they come out. Dude, I okay? freaked
0: out. I'm like, Are you I was kidding like,
1: me? that doesn't look normal. Yeah, I'm like, what this is isn't... wrong, and nobody else seemed to be freaking out. So no. I was like, uh are they like, supposed yeah, we, to be purple it's just like a smurf thing like <laughs> what's going on yeah especially when your kid's like baby but white like ours is i mean it was just like i was like she is not the right tone i i'm not a scientist but that doesn't seem right yeah dude and no one else was you know so it was all good yeah they were um, yeah we
0: just need to get her a yeah, jump start that's yeah, what they told me i'm like a jump start like, what do you mean what is this you know yeah so it was three uh, hours of pushing and i get a blue baby yeah that's, yeah this is what are you nuts I fr- I was like, Dude, are you honestly, kidding me?
1: Honestly, it's it's real. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so they they well, thank God we were all we're all healthy and strong. I can't believe and this. And, like, and, I literally and, can't and believe it. Was it. Like we weren't like small babies. I think one How one of us know, was like, like eleven pounds. I mean, like,
0: but they, like, did they she were know cooking. that when she went into labor, was she just like making dinner and saying, okay, I'm probably going to give birth in the next couple of days? Yeah. Because you know you got usually you go to a hospital, they monitor the, yeah. the contractions, yeah, no, I think dilation.
1: Yeah, my mom's a, an avid researcher. So I'm sure Your mom's she had beast is what she is. Yeah, I'm sure she had researched the heck out of <laughs> exactly all of it and got enough help. So but I think it's like any mom, the first time you usually think you're gonna have a kid, like way before you're gonna have a kid. Yeah. You know? I was getting a kick out of it. Like now with social media when when a couple is like on the way to the hospital and they're taking a selfie going like on the way to the hospital, in labor baby's coming soon I'm like no the kid ain't coming soon yeah. if you're able to have that much calmness yeah. to take a selfie she ain't in that much labor that baby's coming in like four days you know what i'm saying so you you know it's you know good luck but that's that you ain't in labor yet you know you're (laughs) thinking about labor but you're not in labor yet yeah Uh, so that was that uh so my family man it was just it was wild so okay so so here's this is crazy this is crazy all right because my mom is like she's a teacher uh she's you know research she's into life she's like like you know we're believers so big advocate for life and birth and it's just beautiful in god's creation so one time my mom probably with the fifth of the six so my my youngest brother is she's pregnant with him his name is peter and and he uh
0: oh peter peter i just finally did the yeah the math yeah that was Peter? Wasn't Peter? He he was an emerge, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. Oh, yeah. Peter he was oh, on my oh, team. No, no, Peter. Peter, nephew. Peter is my oldest. Brothers, oh, my oldest son.
0: God, because he yeah. was on my team.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. Oh yeah. So gosh. Peter, my nephew, you got to double up. Yeah, if you're no, going Bible up, names, you got to double up. Okay. You know. So my brother Peter is being born, and uh, and my mom says, and she's gonna love this if she listens to this part. She goes, she goes, birth is beautiful. You should watch, and I was like, "Okay, I'm a kid. I don't know. Okay, cool." How old were you at this point? I mean, I think I was like six to eight range, right? So just very impressionable season in my life, and uh, this probably why I had my
0: kids in a hospital.
1: (laughs) Uh, So (laughs) at that age, I my uh,
0: wait wait. So the chair involved still? Oh, a
1: chair is involved. Oh my god! Yeah, it's happening. It's happening every time. One hundred percent. Some of my cousins have used a chair. I mean, it's a family thing. the same chair. Yeah, I actually wanted to find it, and I think somebody, like, threw it away. Somebody probably who cared about sanitation decided enough's enough we gotta get rid of this thing but i tried yeah, to like how do you find it that? I, I don't think you can and that's the problem you know what i mean that's the problem uh, the most i actually un-sterile wanted i wanted to dip it. i wanted come- to like bronze it you know what i'm saying you know how people <laughs> yeah. bronze like little booties i wanted to like bronze the chair and have it like a a monument you know in our home but
0: it couldn't have yeah. been more unsterile yeah
1: yeah whenever i describe like, it just people's imagination of what it is is never as bad as when you actually see the photo, you're like, that's not real. Yeah, that's that not is right. real. That's a real chair. That really happened. Um, oh, my god! So, I'm, you know, six, oh, seven no. or whatever. My mom's like, birth is beautiful. It's going to be great. So, my oh, yeah. aunt is over. Well, things are heating up. And so, it's kind of getting near birth time. So, it's sort of like, okay, my aunt's going to be like, hey, let's bring Samuel in. You can kind of experience this. So... My mom, you know, the chair, dad, mom, whole thing, grandma's there. Then there's my parents' bed. And so it's getting a little intense. So I'm probably like, I'm going to kind of hide behind the bed here a little bit, peering out, seeing what's going on. And, uh, I mean, labor's heating up. Baby's starting to come. Things oh, are going boy. down. Is she and, yelling? And Does here's mom yell? A yeah, a bit. And then when I say mom is, like, screaming, my mom's like, I do not yell during labor i was like okay mom whatever i was six i was traumatized okay so <laughs> mom is you know screaming in labor but here's a different thing and this was hilarious for the christians my mom's mom so my mom's side of the family strong believers holy spirit pentecostal speaking in tongues the whole thing so my mom's mom is there my mom is screaming because she's giving birth my grandma is screaming in tongues praying in tongues loud out loud well, my mom was giving birth so this is the most oh traumatic God. possible experience for me there's just a lot of yelling and all of a sudden i think i see my brother's like head start coming out i'm like i'm out of here right so i leave the room i'm like i don't know what's happening nothing about this is positive nothing about this is beautiful i'm out of here so uh needless to say i was like you know what sounds great having our kids in a hospital yeah. so i don't know what's happening and now i feel like after having a kid when you have like medical professionals and a doula like we had in the in the setting i feel like a man is sort of like a really unnecessary right. part of that birthing process i sort of like i don't know where along the lines we're like you know what we need to be in touch we need to be more emotional more present with our wives husbands should be in the room they're giving birth i think there's a reason why for like centuries men were nowhere in the picture they're out in the waiting room smoking a cigar waiting for the announcement of the birth of their kid that's that's where i think a man is most ideal because i feel like when your wife is really getting in labor and really heating up and you try to help her, she really doesn't want that she's like ah yeah. I'm not interested in your input right now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like these ladies seem like they know a lot more about this <laughs> process than you. So let's go ahead and have you do as little as possible. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. So anyways, I'm not saying we should bring back men not being in the room for birth, but, I'm not opposed to it. I, I don't think they're necessary, is what I'm saying, for the birthing process. So.
0: Although, for me, I, I got big shoulders, so Rachel's <laughs> leg had to go on top of my shoulder. And you really
1: had to leverage it. Yeah, there to it is. Leverage, hey, so. come on. Well, when you Get got guns gun? like that, baby, yeah, let's go.
0: They came into use that hey, day. Hey, listen. Hey. Other than that, I was useless. Yeah. I'm Completely you. useless. I'm
1: telling you. Yeah. No, Other it's, than telling
0: uh, her, don't worry. She's coming out soon. Yeah, She's it's good. Go,
1: ah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. You don't know what you're talking about. You're like, yeah, you're ah, right. I shut actually,
0: up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Useless. <laughs> yeah. Other than the, 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 yeah. the leg thing. you know. No, no. no and was, saying push. I said push. Hey. Yeah, you go. that was big. Well done. Coaching. Yeah, well, well, done. well done. Yeah, right.
1: well done. A lot of a lot of a lot of value yeah. I think you added. Yeah, to yeah,
0: it. My, the way that I say push was very yeah. strong.
1: Very strong, yeah. very very confident,
0: yes, very confident. assertive. I in fact it was all me. Yeah, I mean but Now that we're talking about yeah,
1: it. Yeah, now when I when in hindsight, <laughs> when I look back <laughs> At the real real value I brought to the table, I think it was yeah. pretty significant. It's, yeah, it's the old. Actually I don't want the old, to say. Yeah, maybe not all me, but I'd say in the ninety percentile. At yeah. least it's like yeah. pretty
0: much the. the and this reason, is where all
1: your female viewers are dropping off. You know, they've turned off. They've yeah. unsubscribed.
0: Yeah, these. They're mad. Yeah, these jerks. <laughs> yeah, get over yourselves. We don't do nothing.
1: Ah, well, we, we no, play. Nothing other the plant. The initial. Seed. We plant very the initial. initial <laughs> very positive. At least, you know, very, yeah. very exciting part of the
0: process. Yeah, exactly. That's, yeah, that's about it. And that also uh, <laughs> could be up for debate as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're hey. the initial seed planters. <laughs> if it wasn't for us, you know. Well, <laughs>
1: well, yeah, well, Exactly.
0: <laughs> oh my god. So I,
1: I don't know. I got on a tangent. Yeah, no, that's, that was good. That that was a very uh, and I fueled shocking. that tangent. Yeah, exactly.
0: I fueled that tangent. The chair. So the, the, the
1: the so our family from there. <laughs> Genuinely, this, this is where I give so much honor to my parents because literally all six of us kids love Jesus. Passion about God. Not just like, you know, bench warmer, pew warmer like Christians. Yeah. Like all of us love God, have a personal relationship with God, have married incredible spouses who also love God. Raising kids that all like are in the same vein, right? So that to me is also very unique because it's not like we're all cookie cutter. they're not all me, right right? Very different personalities, right I, I, I'm more of like a a creative when I was a kid I wanted to be an artist like before I felt like this real call towards ministry, I was like, I'm gonna be a cartoonist for Disney. I love art, I draw, paint, create all of that. And, um, so that was my goal. That was what I thought I was going to be. It was like, I'm, that's what I'm going to be. I'm going to be an artist. I'm going to be a cartoonist. I would draw all these kind of comics and do all that kind of a thing. And, uh, and then as I began to realize, okay, now ministry is kind of my primary. I was like, Oh, screw everything else. You know, it's all about Jesus and church and pastoring and evangelists and this whole thing. And as I got into my you know kind of going through my high school years I'm thankful I thankfully had a smart mom who was like hey um you should probably like have a skill you know like you can make money and <laughs> first I was I, I was like you know get behind me Satan you know you, that's that's a that's a doubt I'm called you know like I don't need a fallback you know I saw it as like like I was I was living in unbelief that God had called me to something yeah. like to have like a backup you know kind of plan to make money and then uh, of course she used the bible on me you know uh, Paul who's the apostle Paul Uh, wrote most of the new testament one of the real kind of pillars of the early church after after jesus he was also a tent maker that he had a profession so he wasn't just like traveling and preaching he would go he had work he had trade a lot of times he would pay for his own kind of ministry and travel through his work through his side hustle so when my mom was like well hey Paul was a tent maker. I was like, oh, son of a gun! Thanks, mom. <laughs> yeah. Using the Bible against me. So that's when I went uh, and, and got my degree in graphic design. So I, so that's kind of my has been my other sort of, you know, thing career path in that creative arts. But I was kind of creative. My older brother's an engineer, mechanical engineer, and he's more like typical firstborn he he was never in the military but when he stands he like stands like at, at yeah. sort of out at of tension with his hands behind his yeah. back you yeah. know what i mean they're like ease, soldier. eddie soldier okay okay you know so he's that and then my the third born is i was always trying to assert dominance over the firstborn like constantly. i was like the peacemaker and i was like my my um of course as a christian home we're not you know, we're swearing wasn't like acceptable. Yeah. But my, the third born of us, uh, he would just run his mouth, especially at my older brother. He'd be cussing him out. And then, of course, my older brother felt like he had to lay down the law that, hey, we do not swear in this house. So I'm going to beat you to a pulp, you know what I mean? And so he would just pummel my brother, and he, of course, then my brother would be like, you can't effing whatever, yeah. you know, beat me up, you can't tell me what to do. Of course, I'd be like, oh, yeah, well, now I'm going to go even harder, because you doubled down. I'd be like, David, you know he's going to beat you up, just like, stop, please, <laughs> you know? And then, of course, i get hit in the process, you know, and uh, so that was kind of that first three of us dynamic, and then, the you know, the next... Two are like giants. If you ever see my brothers, like you know, the first three of us are my height, like yeah. almost six. The next three are like, or the next two are six three, six, yeah. six four, and then we had my my sister Rachel. But it was literally all of us, very unique, very different. And my parents did a great job. And I think because we were homeschooled, um, growing up, they were able to be more intentional and more custom. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think the more Rather than kind of shipping your kids off to kind of the factory system, right. you know what I mean? Of yeah, just talk kinda, about that a little bit. You know, getting into that, <clears throat> being intentional with the training and education of your kids allows you to be much more intentional. And even though now, if you, if you think of me now and you see my life now, I'm very, like, outgoing, I'm very relational, I'm obviously not shy on a mic, uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, all of that. But I was actually much more shy as a kid. But actually, those environments I think were where they were able to foster almost my my security, my identity, who I was before it got kind of told to me what I was or what I wasn't by the world around me. Actually, allowed for some more stable ground to be laid that I could build a life of strength, confidence, peace, courage off of. And that's actually what homes in general get to do. No matter what your schooling environment is, yeah. within within reason, the home has the ability to be. You're like you're like the expert concrete layers of the foundation of the rest of your, li- your kid's life. You're not building the whole home of your kid. You're not building every every element of your kid's life. You are laying a solid foundation, and the goal is to create a real solid foundation, right? right. Yeah. Of course, most. Like we said, most kids grow up with a cracked foundation, a missing foundation, no foundation. You know what I mean? Yes. But but once you know better, you go okay. Uh, and even if right now you're listening to this, and go man, my home life is crap. I'm you know I'm not serving my kids well. Good news is you can uh, break up the ground. Yep. And lay some fresh concrete. You know That's what right. I mean? Yeah. And you can you can re you can restart from this point on. But. Um, my my parents homeschooled all of us, all six of us. My mom is a legend; she homeschooled all of us at the same time, and and did homeschooled all of us through um, through tenth grade. So then eleventh and twelfth grade, we actually went to colleges because in a lot of states, your last two years of high school, yeah. you can basically go to college. Um, not every state does that, but our Minnesota did, and basically the state pays for it. So we, almost all of us, graduated high school with an associate's degree because of homeschooling through yeah. that and then 11th and 12th. Um, but my parents, because of their faith, were like, hey, I want to make sure that my kids have the right inputs into their life. And I feel they felt a the personal mandate to be very, very intentional with the education piece. And and when it comes to homeschool, now again, it's kind of vogue a little yeah, bit right, right now. Yeah. But so to me, homeschooling isn't necessarily the one and only answer. To me, it's it's Christian worldview, is the way I describe it. Biblical worldview education. So I because every every school environment is gonna train your kid to see the world a certain way. There's gonna be an overall lens. You know, a set of glasses, You every time you send your kid to a school environment, uh, whether it's a public school, a private school, a charter school, whatever school environment, homeschool, you are essentially putting a set of glasses on your kid's eyes that they are learning to see the world through. And you might be like, no, no, they're just going to learn math. They're just going to learn, um, you know, penmanship. Just, no, no, no. Because teachers don't just teach from a textbook; they give their life. Yeah. Right. That's why actually it's a bit of a flawed idea right now. Like even though I I'm all about challenging a lot of the really extreme, um, you know, public school teachers right now that are shoving trans agendas and shoving you know all kinds Critical of narratives race. on kids. Yeah. You know, a lot of times we're like, come on, just you should just be teaching the curriculum, not bringing your life into it. I actually think that that is even though i don't want them shoving their agenda on kids having said that i actually think it's a flawed ideology because the truth is they are yeah. there's no way around a teacher not transferring who they are into your kids life correct that's how teaching works you it's more caught than taught i don't yeah. care what that teacher is teaching out of a textbook with your kid all day they're learning mm. more about watching experiencing that teacher yep. as much as they are learning an exact math formula, you know, grammar, education. Yeah, they're learning that, but they're actually getting a, a download, an impartation. We would call it more like in a Christian kind of mindset, but they're getting a transfer from your teacher more of the heart of who they are. That's why to me... Um, Godly biblical teachers is so critical. I'm never, I'm not going to send my kid uh, even to like um, just like some general private school. Yeah. Um, or to some Catholic school or even, <clears throat> even to some, you know, some Lutheran, Methodist, whatever. If, if, if it's kind of got the name Christian. But when you interact with the administration and you interact with the teachers, if there's not an authentic faith in them, then I don't want them teaching my kids. Um, And that's why homeschool is such a great option. But like for us, we send our kids to Awaken Academy. Uh, That's because I, I love the environment of not just kind of being stuck at home all the time. I like creating options, I like creating variety, I like creating the social dynamics that can be great in a school setting. But I'm going to send them to a place where I know that the teachers are authentically following God's word themselves. So then they not only are they transferring history and science and math and all that, but they're actually transferring a faith and an authenticity that's coming through it. So I actually don't think we can fight culture by saying teachers should shut up about their personal life. Yeah, because that's not that's not real. You, you should have different teachers or you should remove your kid from that school. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because I can't really, I can't control what every teacher says and what expressions or nuances of a teacher's life. Like, to me, that's, that's actually, an, it's it's a not a real reality. You know and what he, I mean?
0: And, you know, Samuel, I, I've actually never heard this c- t- point of view. And it, it's actually really um, profound. Because like you said, and, and I'm going to, and I, as you were talking, I was thinking about my role as a, my flag football, I'm a flag football coach. Yeah, yeah. And like yesterday when we finished practice, I was instilling life principles with them. Like, and I'm yeah. taking it from Colin and awaken is, uh, yeah, I'm starting to give them little quotes. I said, listen, uh, you're, you know, your your best is enough, but your best is. Required.
1: Yeah, that's it.
0: Right. Yeah. So, and I'm thinking as you were talking, like here I am giving these kids the way that I live. Yeah. That had nothing to do with actual running a play in football. Like here's yeah. how you do defense. Here's how you run a, a ra- yeah. end around. Here's you take exactly. a handoff. Yeah. It was actually what my beliefs are, and yep. how I'm instilling in these kids. And as you were talking, I realized you're so right because you have teachers. It's inevitable. Yeah. That teacher, whoever they are, they're going to be instilling in your child their beliefs and the way yeah. that they operate as yep. a human.
1: That's it. Right? Yeah, exactly. Because you, when you're teaching, and when you know when you work with young people or you work with these kids, uh, anything you're teaching, whether it's a an educational skill, whether it's a sport yep. skill... Teaching is so much, and coaching is so much more than just information. It's dealing with a kid's mental, emotional state. Yes, right. Yes. So you're having to work them through things, over hurdles, over insecurities, over battles. Yes. Even in teaching a kid math, they're like, "I suck. I'm horrible. I'm stupid." Well, okay. Now we're we're not just dealing with a educational issue. Now we're we're coaching a kid through their their process of growing and maturing as a human. And the only way to do that, you leave the textbook and go into human-to-human engagement, dialogue, and go, hey, you're not stupid. Hey, let me help you through that. Hey, you know what? Why do you see yourself like that? You know, and now you're starting to coach. Teachers are coaching kids through life, maturity, issues, pain, which is why when you have a a dysfunctional, messed up, broke, jacked up teacher, then they are going to just Accelerate, feed on, nurture all the pain, dysfunction, and jacked up things in a child, right? Versus a healthy adult or parent is going, when a kid says that, you know, they they bring up some issue, they're going to go, that's wrong. Let me... Let me teach you how to think right about yourself and about life and about this situation. Whereas because of the culture of kind of the public school narrative where it's like, well, we can't ever tell a kid they're wrong. We can't ever Mm. challenge the thinking of a child. We just have to kind of foster their dysfunction. Yeah. That's that's not healthy. I, I don't want people around me that foster my dysfunction. I need people going, that's wrong. That's stupid. Stop saying that. Think different. Man up. Stop being like that. You know what I mean? Like yes. that's what that's what really makes us better. But but that's leaving the textbook and moving into human teaching. And so if you have a a weird teacher, then they're gonna transfer weird. Yeah. If you have a have a broken, if you have a teacher who doesn't understand who he is, then you're <sighs> gonna you're gonna replicate kids who don't understand who they are. There's no way around that. Right, yeah, and so that's why. Well, in on one hand, we're we're fighting legal battles, or we're electing new school boards, and we need to do all that, and we need to keep confronting uh, dysfunctional social narratives, gender confusion, racial confusion, all of that stuff. We need to keep challenging that. But having said that, changing some sort of official rule. In the administrative level school book where a teacher is no longer able to talk about their husband if they're a guy, or a teacher is no longer able to push critical race theory, great. But guess what? If that person still believes that and lives that way and is that painful, dysfunctional, not knowing who they are, insecure human, guess what? That's what they're going to transfer to those kids. And so as a parent, the only smart thing to do is remove them from those environments. Yep. We're not just talking about a teacher who graded your kid poorly and you're mad and you're going to go to the administration and you're going to raise hell because they're, they're you know uh, not giving your kid a fair shot at something. That's not what we're talking about. Right. We're talking about core-level issues that are not going to change until that teacher has their own encounter with Christ, has their own salvation experience, where they begin to heal the wounds of the past, wounds of the present. Right. Begin to see different. They begin to live according to God's word. Then their life can change. Okay. But that we're talking years. Yeah. yeah. So when you have an impressionable young child in those types of environments, that's why a lot of times and, and no judgment if if, if people listen to this and have their kids at public school and you feel like you want to and you don't feel like that's a problem. At the end of the day, every parent has to take full ownership and responsibility of their kid's education. That is the ultimate word in this. But to me, I'm not going to allow my precious, valuable resource that God has entrusted me with into the hands of people that do not see life the way I see it and actually see it exactly opposite Mm, of how I see it. Yeah. Yeah. So every time I send them to that environment, if you think of your kid, um, if you think of like a garden, and, and you think of your, your kid is like this soil, and what kind of seeds are being planted into the soil of your kid's heart, Yep. right? So every time I send them to any environment, there's seeds being planted. Right. I'm going to plant certain seeds into their life. Other people are, teachers are, coaches are, friends are media is music is there's all kinds of seeds going to the soil of your kid's life and as a parent i have to play both farmer and warrior right i am the farmer as and i'm being intentional about what is going in to my kid's life the seeds that are being yep. planted but i'm also the warrior where i'm defending. Sort of this plot of ground against the enemy, trying to put wrong things in my kid's life. I'm weeding the garden, going, man, I don't know how that seed got in there. Man, that's that's not corn; that's a weed. Yeah, I'm going to pull that right. Right, and that's a part of this sort of intentional parenting mindset, where I'm not just kind of, oh, I'm just going to let them watch whatever they want to watch. I'm just going to let them listen whatever want to listen. Now, do kids like it when you, as a parent, start? managing and getting in the mix especially when they're young like ah I don't really like that song let's not listen to that anymore let's take that off the playlist oh you know what i know it's a funny show but like there's actually a lot of crap in there i don't really, uh, what yeah. oh my god like even though my kids like they're believers themselves they're 13 and 11 they 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 know what it means to be a christian they understand they want to live their life for christ but their kids So they don't know exactly what's good for them. They just think, like, that's funny. Well, yeah, it's funny, but it's also sowing a bunch of dysfunctional seeds into your heart. And at this stage, I don't know that you're ready to weed your own garden in that sense. So that's my job. I'm the parent. That's my responsibility before God. It's not the government's job to take care of my kids. It's not the school's job. It's my number one responsibility. So I answer to God for what I allow into my kid's life right yep. nobody else i can't get to heaven and go well god it was those teachers it was the politicians it was that coach it, media. Was, it was the media no god's gonna be like well i didn't i didn't give them to anybody else i gave them to you you are the parent you're responsible that was your job right and and that's an extreme ownership and it's like anything in life Nothing moves forward until we take extreme ownership of results, right? Yep. And so for my kids, now again, kids are humans just like we are. So they're going to have the, they have the ability to make their own choices and ultimately they are going to make their own choices. I can't I'm not responsible for the rest of their life on every decision my kid ever makes, okay? But in these formative years, I am taking full ownership and full responsibility of the decisions they're making, the inputs in their life. And as I do that, just like you said earlier, man, my friends, my circle, even as an adult, it makes me. Yeah, The people I, I hang out with most are going to be who I become. Yep. Same thing with my kids. I, uh, I like to say this oftentimes to young parents. Um, I know m- maybe your friend really wants to hang out with that other kid, but if that other kid is a jacked up situation and causing all kinds of drama in your kid and influencing them to do wrong things, listen... That kid's on his own journey, and that's going to be between him and his parents and God. But if right now that kid is in a very unhealthy state, then it's my job to remove that kid from my kid's friend circle. Now, maybe if they're in a classroom together, there's going to be limited ability there. But outside of that, it's like, no, they're not going to their house. No, you're not hanging out with them all the time, right? Yeah. Now, Now you start causing fights. You start causing like, well, what? I can't believe this. And, you know, you're just trying to control me. Well, yeah, I love you. This is what real parenting actually is. Getting in the mix with your kid's life. Caring enough to actually deal with the issues. And not just let life, you know, parent them right yes because then you get into the later years in life and you're like wow the world the world is completely raised my kid and that's why even through some of the covid stuff this is going to kind of go back to how i think about um our inconsistency of how we're talking about teachers in this setting same thing like you know, at least people like us were raging against the system. The masks are dumb. I can't believe this. Vaccines, blah, 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 the whole, the whole scenario. Um, But as that drew on, right, a lot of the narrative to try to say, hey, masks need to stop was like, man, we're, we're killing our kids. They're going to have all these mental, emotional, you know, traumas and abuses and their counseling bills are going to be insane. They're never going to recover from the season. it's like, and in one hand, okay, you're bringing up maybe statistical stuff to say, hey, this is a problem. We can't keep doing this. Right. That's one thing. But when you start using, when you start trying to grab onto a victim card because you're trying to get a narrative across, it's actually a problem. Because at the end of the day, I don't care what the world around me is doing. They, they can be chaotic. They can be masking up. They can triple mask. They can boost the heck out of things. But I can create a different environment in my home. Uh, So if my kid got jacked up through this season, I can't blame the teachers. Mm. I can't blame the government. I can't blame the media. It's on me because my home can be and should be a safe haven from the storm. This is actually a help the way God designed a home to be is an oasis, You may have chaos at work you come home to the oasis you may school may have been rough you come home to the oasis you know neighborhood sports life may have hit you hard you come home to the oasis and if the home can maintain a stable environment it's like we have thermostats right yep um it may be hot outside it doesn't have to be hot in my house it may be cold outside don't have to be cold in my house so if if you are blaming the world because your kid has got all these insecurities now because of this last two years, blah, 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 I'm going to be looking at you, parent, mm-hmm. when you're raging on social media. I can't believe this, and teachers, and masks, and vaccines, and agendas, and everything. I'm like, I'm like, first of all, why are you still, as a parent, letting your kid be in that environment? That Most of the time, that's how I see the lens now. When yeah. any parent is ranting about some cultural issue they're mad at, I'm just like, why in the H is your kid still there? Yeah, That's the thing I'm most crazed about. Not the system. Not the political situation. Not the teacher. To me, it's like, where is dad? Where is mom? Get your kid out of that environment. That's our
0: responsibility. That's it. And it's, dude, it's like, um, I love this topic, bro. This is so big because it's, uh, and, and I want to get onto something here because you said something about not letting your child to be in certain environments. Yep. However, let me run this by you. Talk to me. Um, we, the dynamic that my family and I, by the way, during the whole quote unquote pandemic, yep. um, my family, my oasis, our oasis you would have thought nothing was even going on. Yeah. Like literally yeah. there was no pandemic. There in was no pandemic.
1: Yeah, it exactly. was
0: not other than there was a couple of masks going on here and there to school. Yeah. You would never know anything yep. was wrong in our house. Not yep. one, no blaming, no this, no that yep. we were the world. We're awesome. Was our, Yeah. So, so yep. anyway, <clears throat> cause that's so big. What you said is every single parent, you, you control the environment of your home. Yep. And by the way, a, a, a side note, Create your home. Make sure your home is a quote unquote oasis slash yeah. sanctuary. Yeah. So good. You have to make sure your children, if it's possible to have their own room, I talked about this with a friend the other day mm.
2: that
0: had have been going through some rough times and their kids have been going with the, the, to this house to this house and they have roommates and the kid, they sleep in the same room in the same bed, whatever you need to do on this next season, right? So they have some independence. They have their own room. They could design, right? That's a whole side note. Yeah. Anyway, going back, let me run this by you. So, i've actually started i've almost named because johnny our son is the sweetest most kind little guy and every single boy wants johnny as their best friend yeah. no matter where he goes preschool yeah. first grade second grade football team and there's friends that he has that don't have either a lot of friends or no other friends because sure. you can tell that there's something going on in the dynamic or something there's something to leave it there yep um that's not uh, what is it? We're Congruent, not flowing smoothly. I'm gonna keep this nice. Sure. Yep. So I call. I'm almost calling our house Johnny's ministry.
1: Sure. Yeah.
0: So where do we go with the be, Johnny being the Dorothy?
1: Yeah. Absolutely.
0: For these kids, I'm realizing that he has kids in his life that are coming over, and he just he accepts everybody, he loves everybody, and they feel like I love Like it. Johnny's their best. Johnny's like a hundred kids' best friend. Yeah. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, it's amazing. What do
0: we do in a sense where we know the vibration is off or whatever something's yep. off, but we know the impact that Johnny's making by, and we always. Well, I think I think it's what you're me,
1: what you're just saying. Yeah.
0: You, you you create the home
1: court advantage yeah. in those situations so they're coming to your house
0: the majority of the time yes yeah
1: so you know sometimes you got to navigate cuz it can get awkward if you say they can never ever go to right. that one person's house and now it yeah. starts getting weird with you and the dad or whatever yeah. but but having said that you you're intentional with that and you and you go okay Your people are coming this way, especially the ones that there's maybe some question marks on, unsure. And sometimes it's less about a child in that setting, especially when they're young. They maybe have a little issues, but sometimes you're more nervous about like what what is that home actually like? Yes, yes. Less about that kid, Yeah. but more like that home environment. Yes, because I don't know what dads maybe like there i don't know what mom's like what are they watching what are they doing you know so there could be some question marks so keep more of the home home turf advantage there where you're bringing people with your son this way right to your yeah. house yeah because then you can create the environment and so what i will do too is you know over the years when we've had you know our daughters having you know their their girlfriends coming over and hanging out it's like hey uh, i do like a no closed bedroom door policy yeah even even though it's just a girlfriend, especially if I'm not a hundred percent sure if I like the total input package that this person is on my daughter. Yeah, I don't need you having a closed door, giving you room to say more things, talk about stuff, get into things that um, that I'm just I'm not I'm not sure where you're gonna land with it. And it's not like I'm sitting there in earshot all the time, 24-7, trying to be super helicopter parent on it, but I'm just going to be intentional. You know what I mean? Yeah. And how I know that that friend maybe has watched that movie before, but, yeah, we just, we're not going to watch that, yeah. you know, or little things like that. But I think when you bring them that way, it's really, really important um, to be able to create, create that space. Yep. And so I think if um, – if a kid is definitely, if you've kind of decided this season, because of the family, because of the environment, I just don't want to foster that relationship. It's different from like, hey, that kid comes over to a birthday party and you're kind of creating some of those moments versus like, you know, they're always going over to that friend's house. They're always hanging out together. You, you could just have to adjust it. Sometimes you do it with them knowing it. Sometimes you just kind of do it without them knowing it. Yeah. We we've had, you know, we've had those environments where we get an invitation to a kid's birthday party. I don't want my kid being around. Guess what? Don't I don't say. tell my kid, Hey, guess what? You're not going to their party. That invitation just goes in the trash. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like now it's all Evites, but I'm just saying like <laughs> the concept of like I don't have to always tell them if it needs to be discussed. I'm gonna do it in the most gentle and honoring way that I can, so I'm not creating weird conversations where my kid goes, "Well, my dad said, um, you're bad." <laughs> I was like, "Oh, great." Yeah, you exactly. Know, you know, you're trying and they to. They will nap- say it. Yeah, they'll say whatever the heck comes to their head. So there's definitely gonna be some of those, uh, some of those environments. But um, I think that I think I think it is. I think the, the Dorothy, the outreach, because as a believer, my goal isn't to isolate myself from all people who are going through a difficult time. Right. So that's always an interesting part of this conversation. But let's say, you know, maybe your life in your circle, somebody listening to this right now, maybe you have a a hot mess circle right now. And you're like, okay, man, I want to get my life straight. I I know this whole God thing or even just in general, I'm trying to get away from this certain circle, this crew, and I want to make some changes in my life. There may be a season where you got to do more hard stopping. where Because you just know, like, there's no way for me to go with those friends and not get into that addiction, into that behavior, get caught up in that mess. I just know it's going to happen if I hang with them. So there may be some times where initially to rebuild your own strength and your own habits and your own thinking towards what is good, what's true, what's right, what's what's strong, what's healthy. Sometimes they are going to have to be some some strong cutoffs, right? Yeah. Until you're in a healthier place to re-engage with some of those people that's hard that can be uncomfortable that can uh, make people they don't understand that when you're trying to make lifestyle changes you know what i mean yeah yeah um so you want to navigate that but i would say especially if you're maybe newer to christ you know like you said in this last year of really trying to make those changes maybe ask somebody else who who knows you knows your circle and go hey uh do you think it's smart for me to go into this environment you know what i'm saying Yeah, yeah you know like uh or maybe if it's a setting where are like, I can't avoid it, I got to go, it's a work thing, it's some high school reunion, where then it's like, hey, phone a friend and just have some accountability, <laughs> you're like, yeah. hey, call me, you know, by this time and rescue me out of it, so, you know, I, I walk away from the bar, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or whatever so, it is.
0: And on that note, man, how, like, for people that are knowing that they're in a hot mess uh, circle, right, knowing they need to make changes, how do they, what's the easiest way to change, so obviously to say no to some things, but... Yeah. You know, obviously, find a great church that has life.
1: Yeah, you know, I think sometimes, um, sometimes you got to say no to things, and sometimes it's about saying yes to things, right? So, sometimes what we say yes to forces the no, Hmm. in a good way. Yeah. So if you've been going out every Saturday night, and you just know that circle isn't what you want to do, the fact that you've already said yes to Sunday morning church. And then it goes, hey, I can't, ac- I can't go out that late. Right. So the yes, naturally causes the no. Sometimes, right. So um, that that can be a part of how you navigate some of that is you start saying yes to the right things. I, I think in general, that's an important principle. Just when we're following christ yeah because if we're not careful we can think like okay i'm a christian now i gotta start you know i can't do this i can't do that i can't do that it all just becomes a list of like all these rules that i gotta start doing and i can't be this i can't have fun anymore and it's it's just all like all the stuff i can't do and or or you feel like there's genuine addictions you're man i'm trying to break this i gotta stop i gotta stop and it's like you're so fixated on the thing that you gotta stop that you just keep doing it because Wherever your attention is, that's where you go. You know what I mean? Right. And so it's actually sometimes following Christ is more about less every day waking up going, I can't sin anymore. Eh, That's not really a good focus. Your goal to wake up is to go, I want to know God more. I want to build my relationship with him. Less about like all all the big list of things I got to stop, and more the one thing I just got to do every day is I just got to get to know God more and grow my relationship with him. And as I do that, I'll actually find that I don't, Little by little, some of those hang-ups, some of those habits, some of those issues are going to slowly, little by little, begin to fall off. Sometimes there may be hard, hard cut-off things. I just I got to stop this. Yeah, and I need some help, and I need a recovery group, and I need some support systems, right? But sometimes it's just going to be, man. The more I get to know Christ, and and he he heals my heart, the less I am looking for love in all the wrong places or the less I'm needing to mask or fill a void.
0: And on this journey, Samuel, you just said something that sparked a thought in my mind. Uh, the more I read um, and, and I'll be frank, I have barely read any of the Bible so far. Yeah. I'm, 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 uh, Colin gave me an incredible one by um, uh, what's the, uh, the leadership Bible. So he knew yeah, I Maxwell, it. He knew I could yeah. handle that one. <laughs> And so I'm getting into it a little bit, but the devotional I read to my daughter every night and I'm realizing over and over and over, I'm just, what I'm really realizing and I want people to understand that this whole thing about, you know, especially if you didn't have a father. And what's, Jürgen said something to me early on. He said, J.D., it doesn't matter. You have a heavenly father. That's it. We all have a heavenly father. Absolutely. And when you realize that he loves you no matter what and accepts you for who you are and is wholeheartedly so driven to make sure you live out to who he designed you to be your calling your purpose yeah I just wanted to interject that because oh, that's said so something good about, that's so good and I just realized it so then everything's okay I don't need yeah. to stress out all yeah. the time yeah he loves well, I mean, me no you, matter what it, absolutely and and I think
1: that that difference oftentimes is in a home where a dad was healthy versus a dad that either was unhealthy or, or not present is when dad wasn't there to say, I love you, I appreciate you, I value you, I approve of you, then we're usually constantly chasing that.
0: Yes. Right. Right.
1: And and then we can translate that to God where I think, okay, I gotta make God like me. Okay, now I believe in God and but now I've got to earn it every day. And I gotta make sure that God still loves me today. Yeah. And every day I'm gonna check in and, and like cower a little bit and hope that God's not mad at me for everything I did yesterday. And the the sooner we realize Exactly what you're saying. That is not how we approach God, and that's not how He wants us to. Because if you you think like a father, a healthy father is somebody who loves their kid no matter what. That doesn't mean they love everything their kid does no matter what. It means that they love the kid no matter what, right? right? So God isn't always happy with everything I do, but He always loves me, right? And so that's the difference, where God can come in and say, hey samuel i need you to stop this but that doesn't mean i've stopped my love towards you or i'm saying hey until you change i'm no longer gonna love you now he doesn't do that right right. his love is unending his love is constant you know the bible says he knows the plans or his thoughts that he thinks towards you are always good all the time um you know that that the scripture I was just referencing there where, you know, he has plans to prosper you, Jeremiah twenty-nine, eleven, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope in a future. This is God's design for us. I think a lot of times cause we we feel bad and we feel shame about things that we've done. And so we assume that God's just up there just constantly pissed at everybody yeah. for all the bad things they're doing. Yeah. And and the sooner we can see him as a heavenly father, that's why. One of the most powerful stories, parables that Jesus tells is about what a lot of times we hear like the prodigal son, right? Right, Yeah. And it's the father who has two sons, the one for whatever reason is disgruntled and decides, Dad, give me my inheritance, I'm out. He leaves, he goes basically to Vegas, (laughs) sort of metaphorically, spends all of his money, gambles it away, spends it on wild living, the Bible says, So probably a little bit of everything, women, booze, gambling, the whole scene, he spends it all. He's literally bankrupt. He's at the lowest point possible. He's literally in a pig pen, feeding pigs, trying to make a little bit of money to survive. And he finally comes to his senses and he's like, all right, I got to go back home to my dad, but I've screwed up so bad, so I'm definitely no longer worthy to be son. That's what he's thinking. I'm no longer worthy to be called a son. I'm an absolute failure. I've screwed up. But he goes, even the servants at my dad's house were eating better than me. So he was like, hey, I'm going to go back. I'm not a kid anymore because I've rejected my father. But I'm going to go back. I'll be a servant. I'll be a slave. I'll just kind of do that stuff and, and let, you know, at least I'll eat better. Yeah. But he comes yeah. back home, and the story is just so beautiful. It's so powerful. The Bible literally says that while well, he was still a long way off, it says the father sees his son and begins to run to him. Mm. And it's one of the most beautiful things, powerful things. And I thought about it as, as I have preached around this story. I thought to myself, I wonder at first if he didn't think his father was running after him to hurt him potentially mm. or to yell at him. Because if you, in your mind... You just think, I've screwed up, I've dishonored my family, I've wasted my inheritance, I, I left badly on bad terms, and now I'm coming home, and all I see from a long way is my dad running. I don't know. Maybe his first instinct isn't, my dad's about to give me a hug right now. He's probably thinking, I suck, I deserve whatever's coming to me. But the closer his dad comes, he realizes his dad isn't angry. His dad probably has some tears. He's smiling ear to ear, and he just runs and wraps his arms around his son. And, and then, of course, the prodigal son starts rehearsing his speech. He goes, okay, I've sinned against God and against you. I no longer deserve to be your son. And the father ignores this little speech the son's given. And he says, he just calls his, 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 his staff around and says, okay, put the robe on him, put the ring on him, get him a fresh shoes. Like, my son was lost, and now he's found, he's dead, he's now alive, he's come home. And this is the picture that Jesus is trying to help us see. This is how God sees all of us. He's our Heavenly Father. So no matter what your natural father was or wasn't, the way your Heavenly Father sees you is like this story, Mm -hmm. that no matter how you've wasted your life or messed up or felt like you missed it or felt like you don't deserve it or felt like you've failed or whatever the scenario is he always is ready and willing he's not going to force you you know to come back to him he's not going to force you to follow him he gives us that choice he gives us that opportunity but whenever you're ready to say okay i'm ready to come home he's ready to receive you always and even if you feel like man here i am again i failed again i failed again i got off track again Jesus continues to extend grace, continues to extend mercy. You're never going to outrun his grace. You're never going to deplete it. He's not like, well, you know what? I'm just sick of this. I'm sick of you needing forgiveness. And think about it. If you're a parent with any level of quality in you, isn't that the way you are with your kid? Am I mad? Do I discipline when they mess up? Do I need to correct them? Do I challenge them? Yes. But I'm never like, well, we're done. That was it. Sorry, Mercedes. You're out yeah you know you' you messed it one too many times no that's not how it is because it's an it's an unending flow of love towards your kids. God's the same way but but perfectly
0: yeah you know what I mean and dude it th- and that's what I'm realizing as I'm getting into this yeah it's really and, and, I, and it's I get beautiful. so inspired yeah and obviously I'm blessed beyond means because I landed at Awaken church. Am I right about that? Like you are. I mean, <laughs> out of all the churches on planet hum, Earth, humbly
1: speaking, you are right about that. Come on. Yeah, it's it's pretty exceptional. I mean, Pastor Yurin and Leanne. I mean,
0: I mean, what's
1: up? I mean, they're just. I can't They're two even. the most exceptional. And you know what's fun? Talking about stories, Pastor Yurin talks about all the time. I mean, t- talk about dysfunctional dads. Yeah. I mean, he had. Yeah just a jacked-up scenario. Yes. I mean, very Alcoholic hostile. Alcoholic, right. Hostile. Atheist, anti, everything Pastor Aaron was living his life for, you know? And and look what God's done in and through him.
0: You
2: know what I mean? Yeah.
1: And so no matter what our backstories is, we come to God. He heals us. He saves us. He restores us. He, he th- There's purpose. And I, and I think to me, you know, some of you listening who don't have a relationship with God, you may, you may feel like, Okay, I feel like I have this need for a Savior. Cool. You, you're going to find that in Jesus. But some of you maybe don't really know that part yet, but you just feel like, I, I feel empty. I don't feel like there's meaning and purpose. Well, you find that in God too, yeah. right? Yeah. When you realize, I have a Heavenly Father who's created me, but He's not a, he's not a, he's not a, a neglectful Father. He's not a deadbeat dad. Right. He created you and he wants to be close, connected, a part of your world, in your space. He's not a distant creator being out there. He's a creator, but he's close.
0: And, and so go a little further on that, man, because it's so profound and so freaking amazing Yeah, when you really realize that. Because so many people are lost, yeah. just lost yeah. with the media and the programming that's been going on our whole lives. The title of my podcast is "We Were All Born to Win," but I talk about how we're all programmed to lose from day mm.
1: one, right? Yeah, we just yeah. are. Yeah,
0: we're not. We're not programmed to prosper. We're not yeah. programmed to flourish. We're not programmed to have abundance. We're not. Yeah, we are not. We're, in fact, we're yeah. programmed to do the, the opposite. The heavenly Father on the other yeah. chance on the other side.
1: Yeah, I would. I would say. I would say it like this: like you have the DNA of uh, to prosper in the yes. sense where God. God has given you everything you need, right? But because of sin, it's like a distorted reality that sin has caused us to basically be programmed to lose. Yes. Right? And if we just follow every instinct and emotion and feeling and, and these, these things that plague us, it will keep taking us further into despair, further into losing, further into emptiness, further into harming ourselves and others around us, Intentionally and unintentionally, right? But when we encounter the love of God, he heals, he he sets us free from this sort of like chains that we have towards almost like an uncontrollable dysfunction that we have in us. And God literally breaks us free of that and begins to set us on a new track. And that's when we follow God's word, we follow God's ways, we begin to walk out uh, a different reality. And it's almost like we overcome our initial you know, sinful programming, yeah. right? And we get renewed. That's what the Bible says, that when you give your life to Christ, the Bible says the old is gone and the new has come. That's why if you've ever heard when people are talking about being a Christian, if you ever heard the term born again, it's like, okay, well, what does that mean? It's yeah. super Christian-y sounding. Well, basically, Jesus explains that in the New Testament to this priest that's asking that question what do you mean born again i might mean, to go back into my mom's womb i mean that's weird what he's back what to the chair saying? yeah back to the chair <laughs> back to the portal and uh he goes no he goes we're first born in the natural into sin but in the spirit through jesus right through the holy spirit we are born again into a new creation uh-huh. that's why we're that's why you, you go from death to life we're born into sin in essence our trajectory until Christ is is hell yeah. we're literally born into this sin but then Jesus through what he does we are born again into new life into into this perfection in the spirit that actually is what changes the kind of the the deliver to you know yeah. zone at the end of life is that we're delivered to heaven because of what Jesus has done in our life. And, um, you know, so I, I think I think as we, the, the more we kind of walk this out, right, in this relationship with God, it does actually stabilize us. I'll talk about how a father can be and should be the most stabilizing force in a home, right? But in the same way, the Heavenly Father can be, and wants to be the stabilizing force in your heart, right? In your yeah. life, yep. right? So when all chaos is breaking out around me, I can keep going back to God. You know what I mean? When the finances don't look like I want, I, I don't have to be in a state of panic because I can keep going back to the Father, yep. right? And And I'm still going to have storms. I'm still going to have things I face, but I have a stabilizing factor in my life. And that's why the Bible says when somebody dies who knows christ even though it's sad and it's painful because there's separation but the bible says you don't have to mourn like those who have no hope right right because i have hope that i'm gonna see them again someday i'm gonna see them in eternity so it's painful i hate it it sucks there's all the humanity right of the loss of a loved one whether it's whether it's a baby that you've lost Whether it's a grandparent that you lost, there's pain, there's separation, there's all of that. But I don't have to mourn like the average person who mourns, who doesn't know that there's life after this, who doesn't know that God has eternity, God has heaven. So I can approach difficulty with more peace, right? Yeah, I can approach a COVID scenario with more peace in here because I know that. I have a heavenly Father. I can approach political seasons, even though it's a storm. Yeah, I can have peace. Yep. I can approach financial right. We 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 got some. The time of this recording, right? The interest rates, mm. the stock. I mean, it's like, hey, what's happening right now? Yeah. What's going it's on right good. now? Well, uh, there's some things in natural course. We're fighting. We're battling. We're working all that, but also inside. I don't have to wake up every day in a panic attack. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. Because ultimately I know that there is a Heavenly Father who knows me, loves me, sees me, has not abandoned me, and has also not abandoned this world. But because of sin, we see a lot of the crap that we see in the world around us. But we can, we start with us, us and God, and then that bleeds into our home environment, which then, then the stability of our home can then provide stability to those around us who don't have that yet. Yep. Right? Whether it's in your workplace, other friends, family, personal friends, or your kids' friends, right? We can begin to extend kind of the kingdom of God from inside out, right? That's how the kingdom works, right? Yep. And before you know it, um, people are like, man, I just gotta be around you. Like, I just feel better when I'm around you. I feel better in your house. Why? Because it's it's a different stabilizing factor. You got the King of Kings. You've got you got the real lion of the tribe of Judah. Come yeah, on, somebody yeah, right yeah. that is stabilizing your life. And because of that, man, people are that's that's attractive. It's very. Cause when the world is 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 freaking out, you're not
0: right. It's dude. It's so profound. Now on this note, come on. At what point? When you know, and let's talk about people that have even a significant other, a spouse or a quote unquote friends in their life yep. that they are being the Dorothy for, like, I love this story. Yeah. I love it. She's a legend. She's a legend. <laughs> so when you're being the Dorothy for people, meaning bringing them, like getting them to where they're, at what point do you re- think, or, or do you maybe say, wait a minute, this person's now draining my energy sure yep. like they're beyond hope or yep. when do i stop wasting my time sure like when do you when yeah. do you know
1: yeah no I, I think i think that's a great broad do you know question what I mean? yeah absolutely I, I think it's it's a broad question of boundaries health right yeah um understanding how to stay healthy so i can be healthy pastor Sherwin was just uh teaching to to the staff the other day and he was quoting you know some search and rescue um you know, a military person was was t- talking through the elements of, they were saying the first, you know, rule in search and rescue is don't become a victim yourself, right? right? Yeah. Or when I was younger doing junior lifeguard training and you're going out to help somebody who's drowning, you know, you, you're taught, hey, you don't just go and, like, get close enough where they can grab you Yeah. and they start pulling you down. Right. You throw them a towel, you have a buoy, you know, you do anything you can to maintain your health, because as soon as you start drowning, you're no longer helped to the drowning right. person. Yeah, you know i heard it said like this: best way to help poor people, don't be poor. Yeah, right. Yep. There's, there's no. It's nice if you're all poor together, but no one's able to help each other, right? So I think that may may seem like I'm deviating, but it's it's a broader principle of understanding that if I stay healthy and create the margin I need to do in my life to stay. Consistent spending time with God so that I'm spiritually fueled up. Uh, staying consistent in health, right, in the sense of even my rest. Like, you might feel like, oh, it's I right. can power. I can stay up a little bit later. Or, you know, hey, we all have different thresholds of like literally like physical rest. But the truth is, our bodies need rest. Right. We need recharge. We need Sabbaths. You know yep. what I mean? We need those moments. We need sleep. We need sleep. Come on, somebody. Come on. Uh, we need all those things, right? To actually keep ourselves healthy. So it sounds noble. And especially as a Christian, you feel like this new obligation to feel like I have to, you know, help everybody all the time. But if you look at Jesus' life as you read through the gospels and the New Testament, you see, wow, Jesus had times where he was with the crowd, and he had times it was just him and the twelve, just him and the three, him and God. Yeah. Right. So you see he understood the dynamics of if I'm gonna pour out to others, I gotta be filled myself. Right? Yeah. And and that is super important um, that that's true in business, that's true in marriage, that's true in parenting, that's true in friendships. That's true in helping somebody else in their broken state dysfunction. I have to understand that I'm actually doing I'm not doing anybody a service to run on e constantly right That's actually not healthy. Yeah. And I, it, it, it seems noble because I look frantic and I'm busy and oh my my calendar and I'm always helping everybody drop a hat. You call me at midnight, I'll answer, I'll come. Those emergencies, hey, do we need to sometimes break our, you know, our structure, break our flow, be available, be the good Samaritan, right? Absolutely. But most of the time, even the good Samaritan, his ability to help was because he had the funds, Yep. yep. right? So our ability to help people, love people, serve people is going to come from our ability to be healthy. Even as a campus pastor, you know that you know, you're, you're trying to serve a lot of people. You're trying to care for a lot of people in their own journey, their families, their struggles, their pains, their hurts, you know. And it can be easy for pastors to get very burnt out, right? You hear a lot of those stories. Well, why? Because they they kind of take on the savior complex themselves. Yeah. The truth is, there's only one savior. He's Jesus. That's not me, right? Right. I am. I'm a pastor. I'm supporting. I am serving God's people on His behalf, shepherding. Ultimately, Jesus is the shepherd. He's the good shepherd. He's, if you've heard heard him called that. Yep. So I'm I'm sort of like a co shepherd right? I mean, with Pastor Juergen, Dr. Matt, but also ultimately we're all co-shepherds with Jesus. Like we are serving on his team ultimately to care for God's people. But Pastor Juergen would always say, hey, when you're talking about priorities of making sure you're healthy, it's like you and God, you and your spouse, you and your kids, you and your friends, Like he's like, all these things, if these things are healthy, then you're going to build a great church. Right. Right. Because you create a margin, you're creating a lifestyle that actually creates health, and then you can serve other people that are around you.
0: And something I've been doing like the past couple of years, Rachel and I, my wife and I, we'll take kind of inventory at the end of the year and see who's in our life and who we want to spend more time around or less time around. Yep. So we do the inventory check every year. And something, and let me ask you this, because I have a ton of people now coming to me, a ton of people coming through me to the church. So all I've been doing is showing our, our lifestyle, aka fruit. Yeah. And everybody now is like, Ooh, what's going on with that church? Yeah. So instead of me trying to actually, because I don't have the time to help people, like sure. to actually yeah. minister, and I, yeah. I, I do for quite a few people. but Yeah, you but can't what, do it for everybody. But, right, but the yeah. easiest thing to do is just say, hey, if you want to know more about this, yeah, show up. Yeah, come, come, to, to, come church to church Yeah, absolutely. Come to church. That's yeah. all I say. Come to church. Come to church. Let me know. Send and, me a text.
1: Yeah, that's it. And, and I think that's where that's where like as as a church our goal just like same thing with you same thing with me i i can't have a coffee with everybody in my church There's all no the way. time right so that's why we have connect groups or like small groups these are you know small communities of people who are gathered together a couple times a month you know building community building friendships those are your primary yeah. initial places where you're able to get to know people people get to know you when you're going through something you got somebody in your corner right you got somebody helping you work, work this thing out and and that's where that's where it stays healthiest. And that's actually a, a really great point. You start by, hey, find a great church. And obviously if you're in San Diego, you're in Salt Lake City, soon to be Boise, yep. come hang with us, right? Yep, We'd love right. to have you. But wherever you're at, find a great church community. And then but don't stop with just showing up on a Sunday, right? Yeah. yeah. Go to that next step, get on a team, right? Serve, find a way to help out around the church. Then another level, get in one of those like small groups. We call them connect groups at awaken, right? Get in those types of settings. Cause that's where it goes from even sometimes early when I was talking about applying what you hear in a message, or applying what's in the right. Bible. Sometimes you can send a message, especially if you're newer to really figuring this out all out. You hear somebody preach, you're like, that sounded really great. I don't really know what to do with that yet. You know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe you don't fully know how to process that. Well, that's where in in those smaller groups with other believers, you're able to really work that stuff out, right? And and allow people more close into your world that can actually help you grow.
0: And now I, I, and and we're going to land this plane soon, but <laughs> I, I got so many things in my mind I want to ask, but I want it cuz we've been talking about fathers and heavenly fathers. Let's yep. talk about moms. Yeah. And I want to talk I want you to talk real quick. Give us some stuff that's worked well for you managing your marriage.
1: Yes. Marriage. Talk to me. Come because on. Because
0: right now it's uh, what the divorce rate's like 50 plus. Yeah. Probably yeah. approaching 70. Yeah. I, I how don't do know. You, how feels... do you?
1: Or... Yeah. Yeah. Marriage is, is beautiful. It's amazing. It's also painful and crazy. Yeah. It's all the things. But it, it's like anything great. Um, the things that you love the most can also cause you the most pain. You know what yep. I mean? Yeah. And and marriage has the for a lot of people like you're talking about divorce rates can end up becoming a real pain point for people, uh, the stories of divorce and wreckage or multiple marriages or you know or even just being in marriages that suck right exactly <laughs> you know what I mean? yeah and there's everywhere in between so I think I think for me. Um, Again, no marriage is perfect. My parents are still married and love each other, and it's awesome, but they're not perfect. But I'm thankful I had some level of, of modeling there, yep. and I have a lot of other great examples around me, even to this day, Good Absolutely. marriages, you're yeah. able to see that, watch that. I would say a key part of keeping marriage healthy and strong is to keep allowing other we're talking about this whole fruit or lifestyle look at other marriages you're like I like that I like the way they treat each other I like how they interact I, it feels like there's an authentic still love and they've been married for 10 15 20 years that still seems real and okay I want that so I want to get around that and I want to allow them to speak into my life right and, and that that's where sometimes you got to get close enough for people so when you treat your wife poorly you got to have the right people around you to go hey don't ever talk to your wife like that again. Yeah, no, That's unacceptable. That's not how you treat a lady. That's not how you treat a princess. That's not how you treat a queen. You know what I mean? Like, you need people to be able to challenge you enough in your space for both you and your spouse. You don't need the friends who are, who are trying to go, Yeah, you should drop her because I can't believe she's not treating you right. I can't believe, you know, whatever. You're not having enough sex. She's not honoring you. She's not doing this, she, you know, whatever. Like, there can be everywhere in between. Or for the ladies, like, he's not treating you the way he used to. He doesn't take care of you. He doesn't spend time. Whatever the deal might be, reasons why or the money, there's always tensions, different things that can create drama. But if I keep allowing the right people around me, it will help save me a lot of drama. But I would say one of the really simple things that I went into my marriage with, and I've learned a lot. I'm actually working on a book right now, probably for next year around marriage. But one of the biggest things that... I felt, um, going into it, as I said, hey, I'm committed to going there in the tough conversations between my wife and I, even if it means I'm sleeping on the couch. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Now, thankfully, my wife is, actually has never, like, quote-unquote, banished me to the couch unless it was when I was, like, snoring, you know, yeah. which probably needs some real deal you sleep. Do. You Come do. Come on, somebody. You do. Um, but... We, we've never, she never like officially did that, but there was a lot of cold nights. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because I said, I, I cannot live, I don't want to live sweeping things under the rug. Right? right. Yeah. I think that's why a lot of marriages ultimately end up in divorce mm. is that rug, the pile under the rug gets so high. Yeah. That it now creates a wall between you and your spouse. You know, you just yep. kept not dealing with it because ah, just it's not worth it. It's not worth it because she's going to get mad. Or it's not worth it because I'm not going to have sex. It's not worth it, um, you know, if you're the girl, it's not worth it because maybe he he shuts down when I try to bring it up. It's not worth it because he gets mad when I try to bring it up, right? And so whenever we kind of acquiesce to that, I'm not going to deal with it because of the pain related to dealing with it. Yeah. It becomes a slow fade to divorce, yes. right? So I have to commit to going. I got to deal with the hard stuff in our marriage. I've got to have the conversations. I've got to go there. I've got to bring it up. If there's something between us, I got to say something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Immediately. Hey, what's up? And why? I don't like what's going on right now. Or hey, I'm sorry, man. I I was a tool. Yeah. I should not have talked like that. I shouldn't have been like that. I'm sorry. You know, I'm not going to allow my pride, my ego to just, hey, maybe she needs to say she's sorry for stuff too, but like, that's not that's not my job. It's not, not my job for her to say sorry. It's my job to say I'm sorry. Right. Right? Yeah. That's, that's on her. She's got to navigate that. And you're all going to have your own dysfunctions from your own family dynamic right. coming into the marriage. So the key is to show enough grace for each other's issues along the way while still dealing with the stuff that you got to deal with, right? Yeah. And I feel like, you know, obviously God at the center, all these types of things we've been talking about, but I just think in a practical way, if you just commit to keep going there, even when it's a sensitive issue, even when you know it's painful, even when you know it's going to create a fight, you know it's going to create drama, keep going there. Because if you're willing to do that, You'll work through it. You get to the other side of it, and you can have peace. And you, and then you'll get to another one of those. And you go there, and you have the conversation. And depending on where your marriage is at now or how dysfunctional maybe your families were coming into it, you may have a lot of those. You yeah, know what I mean? Right. There might be all the skeletons in the closet and all the you know, stuff swept under the rug, and it's going to take some time to unpack it and deal with it and deal with it and deal with it. Um, but once you do, then you'll find that most of marriage can be really a beautiful partnership where you're building and growing on really uh, really solid upward climb together, and then you'll just have to deal with things as they come up, versus if you have all the undealt with yeah. drama, it's like you're carrying weights around constantly, like, why is my marriage doesn't feel happy? Why does it not feel light? Why does it not feel, you know, passion? Why is there no romance? Why It's like... Well, I mean, you got, you got all these walls between you. You know what I mean? Yeah. So deal with the walls. Have the conversations. Go there. If you need counseling, you know, a.k.a. coaching your marriage, do that. And actually, I would just encourage every marriage to get coaching. Every marriage to go to a counselor. You don't have to wait till you're on the brink of divorce. That's actually, I mean, it, it, go there if you're on the brink of divorce. But a lot of times, sometimes you're too late by that
0: time. But and, I, and I mean. I'll equate it to what you just said. I've heard it like this. Uh, waiting till you're on the brink of divorce to get a therapist is like waiting to brush your, uh, getting a, waiting till you have a cavity to brush your teeth. Yeah. It's like, uh, It's great. It's it's almost too late.
1: Yeah, it's almost too late. And, yeah. and
0: so on that note, with cultivating the, the marriage here, uh, which is, this is so powerful because you have so many people that are, you know, just going through the mundane life. They're not, I mean, obviously... Yep. Um, um, getting the coaching, getting the, but addressing the situation as it arises. Cause everybody just lets it fester and that's yeah. what creates the whole.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and then,
0: and then, and then go further. What happens if you're, if you're festering, putting things under the rug, what is happening to the children in the home?
1: Yeah, absolutely. What are you showing them? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're, you know, a lot of times, sometimes couples will say, we never want to fight in front of our kids. On the other hand, some couples are screaming, yelling, throwing everything but the kitchen sink in front of their kids. Neither one of those is good. Right. It's actually healthy for your kids to see mom and dad face conflict and resolve it in mm. a healthy way. Wow. Because they get an example of that. Right? If everything, if the, all they ever see is like, oh, mom and dad are perfect. Mom and dad never fight. They always go to the, the, the room and, and whisper their issue. Now, that's not necessarily healthy because that's not real. That's not real. It's not honest. Right. But on the other hand, if you're every time you get in a fight, you, you know, screaming, yelling, tables are flipping, it's like, whoa, like that's that's also going to create an unstable environment because they're always going to wonder like uh, well, everything could set each other off, you know, so you create like facades. But I would say that, um, you know, I, I think when 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 you don't deal with stuff. Kids can... There's tension. People can feel it. Right. Your kids can feel it. Yep. Like, mom and dad are not happy, right? And one of... Um, just like the boundaries in general, um, I heard it said like this when it comes to marriage and when it comes to your kids, as a couple, one of the greatest things you can give your kids is a healthy marriage. Yes. Right? Yes. So if mom and dad are happy. Not perfect, but happy, happy. healthy, in love working on their marriage, working forward, building forward, facing all the challenges of life and marriage, but continuing forward, like that will create an unbelievable stable environment for your kids, more than you could ever imagine. You might be like, man, you know, I don't know what all to say. I don't feel like I, you know, have all the life lessons to teach my kid. I don't feel like I, you know, I'm not a I don't know the Bible. I don't know all the right principles. It's like Man, just love your wife or love your husband, right? Yeah, and and build a great marriage. Half the battle will practically be done for for your kids because they will grow up with knowing, like, hey, if all uh, the world around me is crazy, I know home, home's safe, home's stable, home's strong, home's healthy. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's unbelievable the subconscious strength that that provides for the kid. I've as I've grown and then re- looking back, obviously realizing how fortunate I was to have the environment I was, I realized that a lot of my un kind of like un like encumbered, like just boldness and confidence, it just kind of like do what I need to do and not be worried about opinions and public, whatever and what people say and comments I get. All kinds of crap on social oh, for yeah. the kinds of things I say. Yeah. it doesn't. It, I'm not bothered by it. Um, and I think a lot of that was because the foundation of my life had such a secure place. You know, now if you don't have that, you can build. Right. That. Right. You can build that. You know, that doesn't yeah. mean all hope is lost. Yeah. But I'm just thinking, like when I trace it back, I think there was a real strength. And a piece that then I was confident in who I was because I knew who my dad was in the natural. I knew what my home was was like and that built something in me. Um, and so I think we can create that for our kids if you didn't have that. And of course, if you if you're like, Man, I feel like you've said a few times, and I think it's so healthy, if you feel like, wow, I don't have that. I'm missing that. Well, guess what? You have a heavenly father and he loves you. Yeah. And, he cares, and he's going to heal those parts of your heart that your your natural dad just couldn't do. You
0: and, know what I mean? And, and I love that you, bro, this was, love this, that you said that <sighs> the best thing we can do for our kids is have a healthy, happy marriage. Yeah. The best thing we can do. Yeah. And I love it. I've never heard this point of view that you just said that it's actually okay to fight from a little bit. Yeah. But when, cause then when they see you resolve it.
1: Yeah. That's, yep. huge. That's huge. That's absolutely Models. huge.
0: Because Rachel and I, twenty-one years together, and we tr- we do our best. But there's times where I'll I'll go off, she'll yeah. go off in yeah. front of the kids. Yeah. But literally within the hour, we're loving on each other. We're happy, yeah. and Jack yeah. will be like, "Well, what happened? Why were you guys yelling?" Well, we just got in a little disagreement. Yeah, mommy and daddy disagreed on something, yeah. and we're now we're okay. Out. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you yeah. saying this makes yeah. me feel better.
1: Yeah, there it is. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And I think that's that's a healthy huge. Thing. You know, one of one of our friends at that uh is Dr. Brian Ricewick, yeah. he's a yeah. marriage family yeah. therapist. And he says if you're fighting, it means your marriage is working. And my mind. something powerful about that, huh?
0: In my mind, this entire marriage <laughs> talk, I was gonna become around and bring that up because when we went to the marriage retreat a marriage getaway. Yeah. With uh, Awakened Church at Palm Desert, uh, whatever three, four, five months ago, I don't even remember at this yep. point. That was the biggest thing I took away from the whole conference. The whole conference was about if you're fighting with your spouse, yeah, that means your marriage is working.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, and obviously it means it's working because you're working. Fighting, yeah, you're working it. Yeah. yeah, now obviously not fighting, not right. You know, there's no, not, different. D- you know definitions of that term, yeah. but if if you're if you're building something together, because I think that's where my wife and I are going on. Uh, we're 18, going nice. on 19 years of marriage now, and I think when you and you be you guys, how long you guys been married? Twenty one. We, uh, we've
0: been married for. 15 together married for, for 15. 21 i together. consider it married for 21 because it, it literally was because of me because i had no money and i wanted to put a proper rock on her finger i swear sure, to god that sure. was sure sure i'm dead yeah. serious i said yep. we're done this is a done deal we're yeah. moving we moved in <laughs> and i know this was against the whole thing sure. but I, I don't know what i'm yeah but my point is this that it's all
1: good. it was bc, BC, BC. <laughs> come on somebody it's bc it's all good
0: <laughs> but i she goes i don't care about the ring i'm like yeah, but i do So anyway, the point is we've been together 21 years. Yeah. yeah,
1: And and I think that when you've been together a long time and you've done the work to keep making your marriage work and keep making your marriage healthy, you actually see how powerful longevity is in a relationship. Some people are married a long time and they just can't wait to get out of it or it's completely died, but they're still together. Well, that, that's different. When you actually take the highs and lows of life, the wins and losses of life, the good days, bad days. Uh, I say like this, being married as long as I have and you have the same. Our marriage has had really passionate, like in, in our intimacy, passionate seasons, roommate seasons. You know, yeah, we've had it yeah, all, yeah, right? Yeah. We've had it all. But when you when you stay with each other, when you keep being for each other, even when you feel like you want to take each other out, when you keep staying each other's advocate and friend and keep trying to believe the best when you want to think the worst. And you ride through the storms and you come through the valleys and you come back onto the next mountaintop. You're just like, wow, I'm so thankful we stuck with it because there's a richness that you have in marriage and a relationship when you weather the storm that you don't get by going, well, you know, we gave it our best five years. I'm not really liking this. Ditching her, I'm on to the next model, you know, next, yeah. you know, upgrade or whatever. Like, you, you, you could be married collectively for 40 years, but that's not the same as being married for 40 years to the same woman. Right. Right? Where you've built a marriage, you've built through the seasons. Because, you know, they talk about, like, vines and grapes and wines and vintage. Sometimes it's those storm seasons that actually produce richness in the, in the wine, because the vines have had to weather difficulty. And so it's so amazing when you look at some of those natural things, it can be the same thing in relationships. When a marriage has gone through storms and come on the other side of them and overcome them and stayed together and stayed for yeah. each other, that's, that's, that's the kind of stuff that unlocks the beauty and the richness of marriage that you never have when you're just playing the field hopping from relationship to relationship, you might get a hit, you're getting a fix yeah. on, on your sexual need or your relational, uh, you're not being lonely for a little bit. But that's very different from a commitment, from a marriage commitment to somebody for life. And you ride through those storms and, and you win and you lose and you stay together and, and you go, Wow. I'm more in love with my wife now by far. I thought I was crazy in love yeah. on the wedding day. But the richness, the depth, the maturity of our love now, oh, it can't even compare. Because
0: everything you've been through together. Yeah,
1: because everything we've been through.
0: Yeah. Alright, there's so many ways I want to but we gotta we gotta somehow <laughs> land this thing. Somehow but, but we gotta at, land at one point it. in the marriage, the people that are like, dude, this all sounds fine and dandy, but I'm done. I'm how done. do you know when you're how do you know yeah. when it's done? Is it yeah. when you is it when yeah. both of you don't want to work on it anymore?
1: Yeah, I would say
0: What's the telltale yeah, sign? You went yeah. to therapy, therapist said, dude <laughs> Well, you know, I
1: would say that um you know, as long I mean, as long as you they're willing to sort of stay married to you. Then you keep working on. It. Yeah, you know what I mean. If if in, if you both are willing to take some step, there, there's possibility. Yeah. If you're if one of if your spouse is like I'm done, I'm through. You've done the counseling. They're still done. They're still through. Then, you know, at the end of the day, you can't control somebody. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're they're going to make their own decisions, and and it may feel like the damage is is too too deep. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just kind of irreconcilable when it comes to that. Um, but if, if at all possible, you, you keep fighting for it until the the, the other says, I, I don't care. I know you've, you've said all the things. I still don't want it. I'm done. I'm moving on. Well, at some point, then you, you got to just allow people to make their own decision, yeah. you know, to move on from it. But I would say that, um, I would say that there's always hope. There's always hope, and yeah. and and that that's where I think the one of the big lies of culture is the whole falling out of love thing. I mean, we just we just fell out of love. We just ah, we just we weren't feeling it anymore. Well, the truth is, we know that scientifically, our feelings follow our thoughts, right? Yeah. And so, if you have if you feel in love, it's because you are thinking about how much you love this person, right. and you're focused on that. You're fixated on that, but usually falling out of love means you started to think so poorly, negatively. You fixated all the wrong things, bad things, things where they didn't do what they said they were going to do, things where they messed up, things where they whatever. And you you keep sliding further and further into my emotion has now followed my thoughts so far down the, I don't even want to be with this person. So, But the good news about that is if you fell out of love, you can actually fall back into you can, love. you can you can fall back Absolutely. in and so if right now you feel like I just don't even feel I just don't even love that person okay well what are you thinking about that person write down all the reasons why you fell in love with them in the first place mm. you might go like well they're not that anymore well let's deal with that later step one why did you fall in love with them why did you say yes to marrying them in the first place why did you go there go begin to refocus on why you said yes And and literally every day, even if you're like, "Man, there are none of this anymore," or "I I don't care," but all the thing, my list of why I don't like them is now bigger. Scrap the list of why you hate them, why you're mad, why they hurt you, why whatever. Get the list of why you love them, why, um, why you said yes in the first place the wins, the things that you loved over the years that they did, probably it'll be hard at first to write that list because you've gotten so focused on the huge list of what you hate Yeah, that you almost like, well, there isn't anything. No, take the time, write that list, and just make a commitment that maybe three times a day at first, you go to that list and you read it. You read it out loud. Man, this is what I love. Not to the person. Right. This is more initially. It's about
0: you. Internal, yeah.
1: Go like I have to. I have to stir up affection again towards my spouse. And it's going to start by me remembering why I said why I love them in the first place. And a little bit like other confessions, yeah. and declarations. Yeah. They're powerful. It's the same thing when it comes to my spouse. If I feel like I've lost a loving feeling, remember what you love. And even even like you know. You can do this on an ongoing basis a little bit. When you get an argument and there's tension in your marriage, you can instantly start moving towards the negative in a marriage. Right. What you're mad in. And what I will, I will force myself to go, I know this, what I feel right now about my wife is not true. Right. Right. I'm lying to myself because I've built up a scenario. I have said, well, because of this one thing, now she's always like, just like with my kids, I say, don't say always, man, you always do this. You never, it's like, stop using those words. Yeah. You know, your wife or your husband is not all bad, okay? Look at the good. Look at what you love. Focus on that. And I promise you, if you will meditate on that consistently daily, you will begin to shift how you feel about them again. I love that.
0: All right. So real quick, talk about, put the books up. (laughs) Name them. Best-selling author. Which
1: which way am I going here? He's
0: got... uh...
1: So start off with this. We talked a lot about Jesus' relationship with God. That's a great following Jesus. Yep.
0: Real, real Um, thin, simple. I've been reading that actually. Seven quick. I had no idea you were the one who wrote it.
1: There you go. Um, And then I did some other thing: uh, quick devotionals. You're talking about ways to kind of learn. You know, this is great to teach your kids daily thought, quick action steps, application. I read
0: one to Jacqueline every single night when I put her to bed. Great.
1: I do one on hope because our world needs hope right now. Yes. Yes. Massive. Most of our problem is actually a hope deficiency, I found. Is that right? Because I really studied through it because faith is actually built on hope, right? Yeah. So if I lose the, the, the hope that there can be a better day, yeah. It's kind of game. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right? Exactly. So we we need some hope, and God's Word talks a lot about hope. Hope. This is a fun book that my oldest daughter actually illustrated, and it's a story of David and Goliath. It's just super fun. I love that. Uh, David and the would say the giant David onion? David and the giant onion. Yeah. <laughs> a story about trusting God no matter what. Right? Oh man. So it's really this this was a this was a fun project. And then this is this is probably my my kind of overview of sort of journey to where God has kind of brought me to, some of the so, the process of promotion, how God uses obscurity to prepare you for your purpose. A lot of times we abandon the process of God developing us because we don't like it. It's hidden, it's overlooked. You feel abandoned, you feel devalued, unappreciated, all those things. You're not realizing actually God is shaping you and developing you for the purpose that he has for I love you. That. And this gives you some insight into that so you don't freak out. Right? a lot of times we abandon the process yes yeah prematurely when it's like just stick with it yeah this is what God is doing don't freak embrace
0: out. the process yeah. embrace the journey yep right
1: yep and then this is the new this is fun launching it literally um, right now uh, tomorrow it's going live really? this is the seven biblical principles on parenting what the Bible says about raising godly children who are healthy happy and successful. Love it, and so it's really good fundamentals, especially if you didn't grow up in a home like that, you didn't have a godly parent. This is really great, simple stuff to kind of go. Okay, what 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 would that look like to raise a kid who loves God and actually takes on life from a godly, biblical worldview versus you know the shenanigans? And so on that note, here's what we'll
0: do: is we'll finish with that. We're going to finish with that right there. Is how important is it right now as parents? Yep. Uh, that we raise our children in all the noise, yep. all the fear yep. mongering that's going on. Yep. How important is it? What what duty do we have to our creator to make yeah. sure that our children <laughs> yeah. are ready for battle?
1: It's massive. It's massive. The Bible actually says that children are like arrows in the hand of a warrior, right? Yep. So imagine if you're going to battle and um, you need to fight and you... you go to pull out the arrow, but the arrow's crooked, it hasn't been refined, it's not sharp, the feathers aren't dialed, the arrow's not gonna fly. The arrow's not going to hit its target. The arrow's not going to do what it was designed to do. We have a responsibility to shape these arrows that God has given us to prepare them well so they can actually fulfill the mission that God has for them. And I think when we see our kids, it's not just like, well, it's a natural byproduct of being married. <laughs> yeah. It's like, no, no, God has given me this. Not only does parenting grow me up, you know, as yeah. I'm sure you've experienced, yes. parenting grows me up, but also God has entrusted future generation impact into my hands, because how right. I raise that kid it could determine their impact in the future. And God needs them to be at full strength. Yes. Right? Because He put them on earth through you and your wife for such a time as this. Therefore, I'm going to prepare them to be ready for their battle, to be ready for their moments, to be ready for their season. And with the chaos of the world, I would just really encourage, do not buy into the narrative that kids need to be left on their own and kind of make their own decisions and basically raise themselves. Yeah. You know, hey, good parenting is kind of hands off, letting them think their own thoughts, go with how they feel, just do whatever is, you know. I mean, that's why we have beautiful girls, you know, cutting off their chests Because they feel like too masculine. Yeah. Well, and we're talking like 12-year-olds, 13-year-olds, 14-year-olds. Yep. Where's mom and dad? Where's mom and dad? Yep. Where's mom and dad to step in and help shape them and lead them through difficult seasons of just growing up, especially in the chaos of the world that's around us? We need to be mindful that the more we can teach our kids the truth, the more they can identify the counterfeit, right? Just like with money, the more I understand what real feels like, the more I'll be able to understand what a fake looks like. Yep. The more we teach our kids biblical, putting those biblical lenses on, learn how to see life, relationships, money, future, purpose, all the stuff, the more I can see that through a biblical lens, the more they'll be able to go, oh, that's a lie. They'll be able to catch a lie yep. a lot faster, and then they'll be able to save themselves a lot of heartache because they got their lie detector way up because that's they right. know what the truth is. I,
0: I love that. So, all right, so finish with this. Boom. <laughs> For anybody that hasn't hit their stride, maybe they're struggling financially. Yep. What God wants us to prosper, right? Yep. Talk about Absolutely. it. Me, finish with that. We're going to land the plane on God relenting. wants us to prosper. He
1: wants us to prosper. Yeah. The Bible literally says that He gives us the power to create wealth. And this is a great topic because I grew up a little bit more, um, you know, being rich or being wealthy or prospering was kind of like a bad thing as right. a believer. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. And so that was something I really had to work through. I had to overcome because I had a... Even though in one sense I would believe, hey, God wants a, me to be blessed. You know, Abraham, the Bible talks about it, I'm going to bless you. And then it says you will be a blessing. So I would... I, in Fundamentally, it was like, I, yeah, I... I believe that, you know, God wants me to be blessed and bless other people. But I had a kind of a core belief that making a lot of money was somehow bad right. or would be a distraction of my spiritual life. But if you read through the Bible, all throughout the Bible, people are insanely wealthy and blessed. God has no problem with it. He's constantly blessing people. The thing is, is when money has us. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's the difference. And, and I love how Pastor Irwin says, you know the simplest way to, to war against greed? Because a lot of times, you know, and, and greed is is actually really destructive. It actually it is. is an issue. When money becomes, you know, Proverbs says, don't wear yourself out getting rich, right? So when we make our whole life just about amassing wealth, that actually is an issue. There, there's there's no there's, That's not really a purpose. Right. Yeah. Right? And so that will become... Uh, greed that will become uh, distorted. The enemy will love to use that to make money become a god and an idol to you. Um, but one of the greatest ways to do that is just stay generous, keep giving. Generous, just there it give, is. There give, give. Just, just find every way you can to bless people. Give. You make more money. Keep giving. You don't have to ever, ever have to worry about making a ton of money becoming a snare to you as long as you stay generous and keep giving. And the great thing is, if God can trust you. With a lot of wealth to where it doesn't contaminate you, you don't get um, so focused on yourself and just amassing all the toys just for your own personal enjoyment, but never blessing other people. And he's just going to keep it coming. He's going to keep it coming. Keep it coming to you because he knows, hey, you're a conduit to keep blessing other people. And if he can keep doing that, you never have to worry about your life being blessed and thriving, enjoying all the good things in life because you're going to keep becoming. You're going to keep having that mindset, I'm going to bless other people. And you see all throughout the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, God does expect us to multiply, to increase. He's given us the ability to do that, and we have a responsibility to do that, not only for ourselves, but for other people. And um, I, I think... One of the things, again, I, I, lo- I just love the way Pastor Ergun says this. He says, how selfish is it to only want just enough for yourself? Yeah. It sounds like, it's like this old school pious Christian thing, like, "Well, you know, I, I don't want a lot. I just want enough for me. It's enough for my... my and it, it, it can initially sound like, wow, why you just, you're so content with just little. Wow, that's, that's so noble of you. But actually it's selfish. Because then when people need something and people are hurting and they're going through a difficult season and i have no means to help them what value is that there's you know, if you if if the good samaritan is this iconic example of man what a true follower of christ is that you're willing to sacrifice and go to the other side of the street and clean up the mess and get in the weeds with people and help that person who is broken and left for dead well that good samaritan stopped did the did the inconvenient thing, which is awesome, but then he he takes him to the local inn, aka kind of like hospital, basically. He binds up his 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 wounds, and he pays for all of that. Then he says to the innkeeper, "Hey, I'm gonna go. You take care of him. Whatever cost is incurred from this guy's medical bills when I come back, I will pay it." I mean, who who right now? Who has subscribed to that like Christians should be poor mentality? Yeah. Who of them have the ability to do that right now? When you see somebody hurting, do you have the ability to go pay for all their medical bills, put them up in a hotel for an indefinite amount of time, and make sure that they're safe? And most Christians don't have enough money to be a Christian, they're not making enough to actually do live a generous life that God actually <laughs> wants, right? So yes. I, I think this is I I'm I'm challenged and stirred by it to continue to increase and multiply and produce in a way that I'm able to be able to be generous every time it's needed.
0: Most Christians uh don't have enough money to be Christian. Is that what is yeah. that what it is? Yeah. Ladies yeah. and gentlemen, we're gonna end with that. Samuel, this was Let's go. freaking incredible, Dude, how bro. How fun
1: is this? I I love love
0: that last quote. Ladies and gentlemen, real deal talk. Samuel Duth, that's a wrap. Love you, brother. Thanks for coming in. Peace. We're out. Boom. (laughs)